Good morning. I'd like to call this meeting to order. City of Palm Coast City Council Workshop. It is Tuesday, January 12, 2021. It is 9 a.m. Please rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Roll call, please. Mayor Holland? Here. Vice Mayor Branquino? Here. Councilmember Barbosa? Councilmember Danko? Here. Councilmember Klupas? Present. Councilmember Barbosa is absent. Thank you. Okay, we'll move to public participation. Any member of the public wish to make public comment on items? Um, this is a workshop, so please feel free to do so. Um, please state your name for the record and your time will begin. Good morning, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Amy Lukasik, and I'm the Director of Tourism for Palm Coast and the Flagler Beaches. It is my pleasure to introduce to you our newly hired Economic Development Manager, Dolores Key. Dolores has over 20 years of experience in a variety of economic development roles, and most recently was the Economic Development and Marketing Director for the City of Lake Worth Beach. During her time there, she helped secure a $1.38 million grant from the U.S. Department of Commerce for infrastructure improvements in Lake Worth Park of Commerce. She has also been with the City of Winter Garden and the City of Palm Beach Gardens, which during that time she also dedicated four years of her life on the Scripps Research Institute under Governor Bush's administration. She has been recognized in her industry with a handful of awards and honors and has led an extremely interesting life, including her time in New Zealand as an American field scholar to starting up her own manufacturing plant in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, of handcrafted metal drum artwork resulting in over 300 U.S. accounts, including Walt Disney World, SeaWorld, and Busch Gardens. But the most impressive thing that I have found about Dolores is that she is extremely humble, unassuming, and down-to-earth. Since her onboarding, Dolores has begun to immerse herself in the community by meeting with several of our community and business leaders, the school system, as well as our regional and state partners and contacts. She is also pulling together all the data on the county and familiar, familiarizing herself to begin putting together a formal presentation to the county commissioners on March 1st. That presentation will contain all of her findings, overall analysis, and likely three different scenarios of her role for the future. We will be seeking an overall consensus from our board and direction on where they would like to see Dolores dedicate her efforts. We will certainly share the outcome with you and ensure that we are continue providing the best partnership and we're excited to have Dolores on our team and part of our community. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Virginia, you can start that. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's a pleasure to be in Flagler County. I look forward to meeting you all and working with your staff and forming an aggressive strategic alliance with all of you. I think partnerships are the best way for all of us to work together. And again, I thank you for the opportunity to address all of you today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Look forward to working with you. Next speaker. Then I'll close public comment. We'll now move to agenda item number E, which 
after presentations. Agenda item number one is a presentation COVID-19 update. Thank you, Honorable Mayor, City Council. Good morning. Uh, we've invited Jonathan Lord in this morning from Flagler EOC to give us an update on uh, the vaccine status and vaccine program. Um, he's going to go first. Uh, Captain Esconi will give us the general citywide COVID-19 update and how we're uh, continuing to manage through the pandemic and through this upspike. And then lastly, uh, Deputy Chief Brad Clark is here to discuss a little bit of how we're interfacing with our communications efforts in respects to uh, COVID-19. Actually, I believe when I spoke with Tom last night, Tom wanted to go first. I don't, I don't want to steal his thunder and some of the numbers that Tom wanted to say. So I'll let, I know Tom's up there on the top right of the screen. So I'll let, I'll let Tom go first and then I'll just fill in the, the blanks. I'm muted, Good morning, Mayor, Council, Mr. City Manager, Thomas Goni, Fire Captain. Um, it's been a little bit since we've done an update. Uh, quite a bit's transpired since the last one. Uh, Florida, we've now increased to 1,488,506 cases. In Flagler County, we're at 4,384, uh, 4, of which 3,654 are in the city of Palm Coast. Uh, we've had 52 fatalities and 253 hospitalizations. We continue to work with our local, state, and uh, federal partners. Um, as we've been saying all along, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, we've turned the new year, but uh, this is this. We're still in the middle of it, and the numbers are increasing. Um, we're continuing to follow the CDC recommendations of wear a mask, uh, six foot social distancing, um, stay out of uh, groups. Uh, or parties that are that, that are not your family members uh, to help reduce the spread and help reduce the spike. Uh, we are going through uh, what seems to be another spike right now. Um, Dr. Fauci has repeatedly stated that um, for us to get through this, we're going to need to have 80 to 85 percent of vaccine and um, positive COVID cases to um, to start to get life back to normal. And best guesstimates of that normalcy. Um, he's talking at the end of uh, 2021, November, December, if we can get the, the vaccine rates up and people test, that had tested positive for COVID to have their antibodies. So Jonathan, if you would please um, go over the vaccines for us. Sure, and actually before I even hop onto the vaccines, let me just um, echo what, what um, Captain Osconi said, the fact that we are in a big spike right now. The whole country is, the whole world is. Um, as expected, the virus mutates, every virus mutates. It's becoming more readily transmitted. So this is just the simple little things like what we're all doing, wearing masks, social distancing, um, washing hands frequently, those, they make a difference. They really, really do make a huge difference. The entire country, the entire world is tired of this. I get it, we all get it. It's, you know, it gets old after a while, but just these are simple little things we can all do that can help slow down those spread. A lot of the spike is, at least in this country, is because of the holidays. That is what happened. People went and saw each other. We get it. We've been locked up for almost a year. And people went, went and saw each other. They traveled again because things were looking a little bit better. Unfortunately, as predicted, things got worse after the holidays because of people interacting more. So we're dealing with the outcome for, from that. I'm not saying the world needs to lock down, but we, we can just do these simple things with the mask wearing, social distancing, and hand washing. It will make a difference. And this spike we're seeing now can go away in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, as you all saw, the country is pushing out vaccines. 
We have gotten a tiny amount of vaccine in our county. Advent Health um, Hospital here in Palm Coast got 1,100 vaccines, which they distributed to healthcare workers. The health department here, the state health department here, offices here in Flagler County, got 1,700 between two different shipments um, over the last couple of weeks, and we've gotten they've gotten zero this week, unfortunately. The states kind of reprioritized where they're sending the vaccines to kind of get more denser, high population areas. We are hoping to get more vaccines again next week, though the state did warn us for the next five weeks or so not to expect a lot of vaccine. The state's only expecting to get about, give or take, 250,000 a week to spread across the entire state of Florida. That is, that's nothing. It's a tiny percent of our population. Um, if the original game plan from the CDC, if we had followed the original game plan, not we, we don't really have to control about what the game plan is, but the original game plan for the CDC was to start with smaller, more controlled groups as the vaccines were tighter. In Florida, the, the governor wanted to go right to the 65 years old and older population. We obviously, our state, including our community, has a significant population at 65 years and old and older, the, which I think was, was a good idea other than the fact that it created a, a swell of demand where the vaccines don't exist yet. So that's, that's the consequences we're dealing with now. It's life, we are gonna deal with it. We'll get through this together as a collective team, but just there is unprecedented demand for any kind of medical intervention out there, probably in the history of mankind, looking for this vaccine when there's such small amounts of the vaccine available. And one of the pain points we went through over the last week was when the state rolled out the vaccine, and again, the state controls the vaccine, they control who gets it, they, con they control putting it in people's arms, with the exception of of the healthcare workers where the hospital put it in their staff's arms, where the paramedics in your department as well as the county department as well as Flagler Beach Fire Department put it in each other's arms. With those, with those small exceptions, the state of Florida controls the vaccine and getting it into people's arms. The, health, the Florida Health Department with its Flagler County office is the one with their staff and volunteers putting the needles in people's arms. Um, and then with the county as well as some of your staff are helping us run the vaccinations, like the back-end logistics and all that kind of stuff. And your call center is being a huge help with us helping to manage that message to the public. So we are hoping for a more robust appointment scheduling system. The state rolled out the vaccine without a system like that. So we stepped up and said, hey, we're gonna step in and try to help. Unfortunately, no, you know, no, no good deed goes unpunished in life. So unfortunately, we rolled out a system that we could handle a couple thousand appointments in, yet tens of thousands of people tried to get appointments. And unfortunately, we did have some members of the public unhappy we also had some members of the public unhappy with the fact that non-residents were able to get vaccines in our county and people see us taking away vaccines from, from our residents. The issue is it's a federally funded vaccine. We cannot tell non-residents they cannot get vaccines here in our community. We don't have to reach out to them and tell them it's available, but if they find it's available and they meet the qualifications, they just like anybody else can, can come get the vaccine here. So these are some of the little things that we saw, but we had to let happen. We had to deal with it. We rolled out the vaccine program. We are hoping that this week, the state has a robust statewide appointment-based scheduling. Therefore, the people that control the vaccine will also control the appointments. So we're excited for that to happen. I actually was, I was sitting in the back of the room here, actually got the invite to see the new system later this afternoon. So that's a good sign that they are ready and they're ready to show it to us it means they're ready to hopefully roll it out. So, so that's kind of where we're at. It's gonna be months, Tommy said, the um, use the word marathon versus sprint. It's gonna be months. And that's really the message I'm, we're trying to get out to our public. We know everybody wants it yesterday. We get it. Everybody truly wants this. Those who want the vaccine will all want it yesterday. It's going to be months. Just thinking, we want everyone to think in their heads it's going to be the spring and the summer before enough vaccine is available for everybody who wants it in this community. The good thing is, by the time that happens, 
It will be available in Publix. It will be available at your doctor's office. It will be available at CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Target, anywhere that has a pharmacy, anywhere that has a doctor's office. By that time, the spring and summer comes, it should be available in all of those places, and it will only have to be uh, your government that's providing that service. Jonathan, first and foremost, I want to thank you because you have been, you know, the lead um, <laughs> sort of facilitator throughout this entire pandemic, and um, you've done just an extraordinary job. Our numbers continue to be as low um, as, as they possibly can be, uh, you know. Obviously, um, we all know someone who has passed from COVID, who's uh, tested positive. Um, so emphasizing that educational component is really critical and demonstrating some patience throughout the community uh, is really necessary. So is there anything the city can do to continue? I know Captain Esconi is on calls uh, with you every day and um, again, doing a, a great job from uh, the city's lead. We have our, our chief back in the room as well. So um, messaging is something I'm hoping we're, we're coordinating on. Um, you know, any, any way we can continue to drive those messages are really important um, and an educational component. And certainly the vaccine management piece of it is really going to be critical. So um, I'm hoping the more that you can share with us, we get emails, I'm sure like you get emails um, about uh, residents just inquiring, um, trying to uh, understand the system a little bit better. So. We want to make sure we're continuing to be a great partner uh, in that endeavor. Um, and I really, again, just want to emphasize uh, your leadership throughout this. Um, and the county has, has really been extraordinary. And I'm very proud um, to, to serve in a community with such an extraordinary emergency management director. So thank you. No, thank, thank you for your, your very kind words. And the entire council and your entire team, I mean, you all have bent over backwards to help us get the same message out. It's, um, it's amazing. I'm, I'm going to think back three years ago when I made the choice to attempt to come to this community and apply for a job. One of the things that attracted me to this community was just the volunteerism, the teamwork, the effort of people working together. Obviously, we come and go in waves when different governments disagree with each other. Sometimes that's life in general in, in local government. But just right now, I, the, this COVID, including Dorian even before COVID, was the last somewhat small disaster we had here, emergency we had here just the teamwork that we all see it. Our residents don't care what color a truck is when it pulls up in front of their house. They don't care whether the, pay, the, ca the county pays my, pay, my paycheck or you all do, or it doesn't make a difference. Our residents are who we all work for and it doesn't matter which logo is on our shirts. It's, we're, we're one great big team and you know, I'm very proud to be a part of the team. I really can't take credit for how this is going on. I think, I think it's just the teamwork. I just happen to be the person who gets put in front of the microphone the most often. So I just, I'm, I'm very excited about the teamwork and. Our, our political leadership, whether it's here on the council or at the county, just helping share that message over and over again to our public of just the simple things we can do to help slow down the spread of it. We can't stop it. It's not going to happen. But help slow down the spread. And once vaccine is available, there's simple things we can do to help encourage folks that want it to get it when it is available. And also at this point really is echoing the patience with the process because if it doesn't exist, we can't put it in people's arms. Oh, the health department. I'm, can't put it in people's arms. I say we because I keep thinking, you know, we're all one team. Even though they're a state agency, I always say we, meaning including, <laughs> including them. But it's, it just, I just really want to stress that patience right now with our residents. We, there's parts that we can't control. Even, even our governor can't control how, how much vaccine the state of Florida gets. That's, that's set by the federal government. And the federal government has its own boundaries based on what's available from the manufacturers. It's just 
it's a process, and it's a, it's very early days, and we really do all we all want it to be over with, but it's still going to take many months. Council, any questions? Just or one, one, one quick quick Go question. Ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, um, are in Flagler County all the emergency workers and uh, healthcare workers, first responders, basically, are they all vaccinated? On the healthcare side, so when it comes to first responders, if they're EMTs and paramedics, we've offered it to all of them, with the exception of one or two that just haven't gotten scheduling to work out yet. They've basically all been um, those who wanted have all have all gotten it. But was available to them? It, yes. Okay. Yeah. That was my question. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, first, thank you very much for everything, Jonathan, you, uh, you and your team and our team and everyone has been, done an incredible job. I was just curious, uh, the take rate for th for those that it has been offered to, are we seeing pretty good adoption by uh, our emergency uh, care workers and first responders? Uh, they are they are accepting the vaccine? That's that's good. Yeah, I don't know. Say good adoption is a matter of opinion. It's, it's nobody really, very few people want to be the first. Sure. And even if though nobody in our community is really the first unless you signed up for one of the trials, there is some hesitancy with being the first, even on emergency workers and healthcare worker crews. But I mean, it, it's changing every day. I mean, we're getting calls. So Karen Prather, who's the community paramedic that serves our entire county, um, she's kind of the lead with, with coordinating the vaccinations for the emergency workers. And after we got for the, through the first round that your chief and the other two fire chiefs got to us, she's now gotten follow-up calls. So the adoption's picking up pace now. So it was we had a very decent start, and it's getting even better and better as people now saw that their colleague, it was okay, okay, now now I'm, I'm okay to do it. So as we get more vaccine, we're making sure we can get more into their, literally into their arms. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Mayor. Morning. Mr. Warren, thank you. Um, to, to give you an idea on the, on the ground level, uh, the firefighters in Palm Coast, about 50% of them went and got the inoculation. Another six, seven, eight of them had already received um, COVID in the last several months. So they couldn't, we're about two thirds of the way of the department um, being either inoculated or have gotten it. Um, and, and the others are watching. Um, I will tell you firsthand, one of the first to get the shot, wasn't bad. Um, didn't feel it going in. The next day I felt a little bit in the arm, but um, the end result is um, it's a small price to pay to, to get it and the people around you, uh, you feel a little bit more comfortable. You're not on edge as much. Um, but you figure we go back about a year ago when we saw this thing starting to roll out of China and we got uh, word of this in early uh, January, February, and we were hoping that this thing would pass over. It's like a, a bad story in the Bible. Um, we've been dealing with this and for us to have only six or seven people in the department um, after contacting all these people that might have it in the community, uh, it, it's amazing that, that we've taken the strides that we did. Um, John mentioned about Karen Prather, and I think I'd really like to touch on, on her accomplishments. Um, she, she's an amazing person, and for her to be on the front line of this, she's still doing her regular job. She's still out working with the community on those folks that are, uh, we call them repeaters, that, that we go back to. Um, but she has taken the point on this and has done a phenomenal job, not only just informing us on what we need to do, but making herself available day or night any time that she'll come over and, and take care of whatever it is that we need to get done. Um, she, she spent the most of a week scheduling her time to go to all the stations to make sure that any of the crews got the shot that they needed it. And, and I, I want to thank John and, and Karen for what they do for providing their service. Um, this is the start of what's going to be a very long process. And whatever we need to do to help offset the, their, their pains in getting it out, the fire department's going to help 
um, and we'll put every effort behind it. So thank you. Council, good morning. Um, some of the things that we're doing on the uh, on the communications front in regards to the vaccine rollout, we've been uh, in communications with the county, with the uh, county government, and communications with the health department. Um, Cynthia and I have come together, and Cynthia's made arrangements for our customer service department, and is constantly in communications with the EOC to assist with the call center and position our customer service people to be able to take some of those calls and alleviate some of that pressure on them and get consistent messaging out. Um, the county is also encouraging people to sign up for the text alerts, which is a great system and they've been doing a great job of getting uh, information out through that. So we're assisting in that. Uh, Lauren Johnston had a great idea to come up with posters, so we created a poster, ran that by the county, and we're getting those up in our facilities as well to help spread that message. Uh, we're continuing to get emails in that we can forward over through customer service. I know there's different people that I have spoken to um, directly and as emails come in. So we're coordinating very well and following their lead, getting any press releases that they come and send to us and staying in contact with them. So. Yeah, is the vaccine we're giving out in the county, is it a two-part vaccine? Currently, yes. It's actually the Moderna vaccine is the one that we've been provided with, but that could change in any week. So assuming we stick to theoretical weekly deliveries, on a week-to-week -week basis, it could be a different vaccine. It really depends on what the state gets from the federal government. i seen there was a, a lot of residents that taken the first part, and they're worried about uh, not getting the second part of the vaccine. Yes, so that's probably one of our biggest challenges right now. The state has forbidden the health department, uh, which is one of their agencies, obviously, from holding on to second for second doses. So you can't get 100 and then hold 50 back for second doses. They were told under no circumstances to do that. So the challenge that we have was some of the other counties have been making appointments. When you take your first shot, you get an appointment for the second one. I, my fear for those communities is they're going to have to call an awful lot of people back potentially and cancel them. What we, uh, we have asked from the health department is to find out from their their parent entity at the state whether so the Moderna is a theoretical 28 day is when when you get the second dose but there's got to be a window in there where it's 28 to I don't know 35 or 40 to ascertain that so then as we see vaccines come into the health department we can then start calling our residents back so that is our goal if once someone gets a shot through the, through the health department here in our, in our community we get the contact information for those residents back from the state from the state health department we will call them. Our goal is to call them a week before and make them their second appointment. So that, again, I, I say goal because some things maybe some of that may be taken out of our hands, but that is our goal at this time. Is, is there going to be a problem or any side effects if they don't get the second uh, dosage? No, the, the only problem with not getting the second dose is the efficacy um, is, is lower. So, uh, and I'm going to quote Bob Snyder, the health department director. I'm not a medical person other than I used to be a, a medic eons ago. <laughs> but to quote Bob Snyder last night, he kind of put it at, and don't hold me to these numbers, but the first dose gives you about 50% efficacy, which is very similar to your regular flu shot. The second dose gets you above 90% efficacy, which is way better than your normal flu shot. So that's kind of the, you don't lose anything by only having the one dose, but the second dose just throws you way up there at being that much more effective. Thank you. So, so our goal is to get the second dose into residents' arms. We really want to do that. I say residents because what we posted on our website, even though we're being challenged on this right now, is 
we, while we can't restrict who gets the vaccine, there, no, we have not been told that we have that we have to call anybody back for their second vaccine. It's it's it, second vaccines can be first come first serve or whatever the community decides to do that. So to help the residents of Flagler County, if they wrote down a Flagler County residential address when they got the shot from the health department, we are going to attempt to call those people back to make those second appointments if the, the vaccines are available. Uh, just a quick question. Yes, um, first, thank you for all your hard work. Appreciate it. Um, if somebody misses that window, say it's 45 days, 60 days, whatever, they need to start over, right? I, I don't believe that is the case. Again, I'm, I'm not the medical expert in that, but there's, there's nothing that says if you only get the one, you have to start over. There's, there's no literature that says that at this, at this point in time, at least not for the Moderna vaccine. Thank you. Thank you again um, to the whole team. Uh, as you mentioned, this is a team. You know, please, to the residents uh, that are listening, this is a deadly virus. Uh, this is a virus that has taken lives in our community um, and has impacted many lives thus far. So please be safe and please take it seriously. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council. Okay. Agenda item number two is a presentation update on fiber initiatives. Thank you again. <clears throat> Honorable Mayor City Council um, is one of those council priorities uh, that has been slow to come to development. Um, and I take responsibility last year. We kind of went down some blind alleys uh, with a former staff member of Restructured. Um, glad today that Doug Aikens is here, our IT director, who's been working closely with his team, including uh, Bill Eldridge, who's been on staff for quite a while. Um, and they have, I think, provided to date the most realistic and a credible path forward in respect to FiberNet, which continues to be obviously a council priority that we've been tasked with uh, getting traction and moving forward. Um, looking forward to uh, letting Doug share with you where the team is at, what options are before us, and, and how uh, we can continue to work on fulfilling this uh, council strategic goal of FiberNet. Thank you, Mr. Borden. Uh, good morning, Mayor and City Council. I appreciate the opportunity to provide you an update with uh, the various initiatives going on with FiberNet the past few months. I believe COVID has taught us many things. Um, one of them, I believe, is, is the importance of high-speed, reliable internet. As um, learning institutions and hospitals have turned to virtualization, um, the need for low-cost, reliable, high-speed internet is crucial. Um, and in my mind, I believe that technology infrastructure like fiber is as important as uh, community infrastructure like roads or utilities. Um, so what I'd like to do this morning is provide you with a brief update of some of the various projects that we have in the works. Uh, the largest one, of course, being the uh, public-private partnership slash ISP uh, initiative and then end with a future opportunity that I am excited uh, about the opportunity to partner with. So a few projects that have been going on. Um, one of them is the infrastructure upgrade. Uh, several months ago, we started updating the FiberNet infrastructure uh, that connects all of the uh, buildings, the most um, notable one being Flagler Schools. Um, that project is mostly done. There's a few um, smaller connections that we are, are waiting to make, but in large part, that infrastructure is in place and configured. Um, the schools are not yet on the new uh, equipment, 
uh, but that's by their own choosing. We set up a time for them to cut over. They decided to, de to defer, but it is there and available to them when they are ready to connect. One of the other projects we've been working on are the Old Kings um, redirects, because part of the Old Kings widening, we needed to redirect fiber in order to keep um, certain areas like utilities and water treatment plants connected. Uh, those have all been completed. There was a connection on Old Kings North that was gonna go from around the area of 95 North on-ramp, uh, cut through the woods and kind of come back to where, where Staples is. Um, Bill Eldridge, as uh, Mr. Morton has mentioned, uh, is heading up our broadband initiatives uh, for the IT department. He began looking at that project and realized that that, uh, that leg would only connect three FiberNet customers and when the Old Kings project was finished, it would be completely useless. Um, so through some conversations with those three customers provider, was able to get them a workaround and to avoid doing that leg and save the city uh, about $63,000 of that build out that we deemed to be unnecessary. So we're um, grateful to be able to, to have found that. Another project we've been working on is the, uh, the Colo 2 relocation. Uh, some of you know our, our second co-location facility um, is, is functional, um, but not the most professional environment, and we're looking to, to update that and upgrade that. Um, the county has given us a facility that we can use for a co-location facility, and we are, are grateful for that. We're also exploring the possibility of using infrastructure as a service. Um, running a co-location facility, of course, you have things like fire suppression, cooling, monitoring, uh, power, um, it's very intensive. And we're looking at uh, what it would be like, what it would cost, would it be a cost savings if we were to co-locate in another facility um, and put FiberNet there. Uh, lastly, I wanna mention uh, our inventory. Um, as is mentioned in the Magellan report, we, we, do, we know where fiber is in the city. We don't have a detailed analysis of the inventory we have down to the strand. Um, we don't know where our splice points are. So uh, even though we, we know where our fiber is, the, the maps inventory we have, some of them have been updated in a couple of years. So we're, we're doing a big push to make sure we inventory everything, have an accurate uh, count of where our fiber is at, where the connections are, because um, that's something I believe that we really need to have uh, and it's very important. The big project, of course, is the um, public-private partnership um, or the ISP initiative as laid out in the Magellan report. Uh, the report that they gave us offered several options as far as paths forward. Uh, one of them that was explored was the public-private partnership, the P3. Um, we went out to bid for that, and those results were brought back before City Council in October of 2019, I believe. Um, that bid was never awarded, and I just wanted to go over some of the details of the options that were given to us in that bid process. Um, the top-rated bid respondent um, gave us basically two options. The first option uh, was the city would invest approximately $40 million into a build-out of the fiber network. There would be a revenue share of 30-70, uh, the city receiving 30% of the revenue, um, the, the uh, company receiving 70. And after 20 years, a 20-year contract, uh, the city would retain ownership of, of all those um, assets. Um, and, and, and again, with this option, it's a, a large upfront investment by the city. 
and a large 20-year commitment by the city. The second option they gave us um, required no upfront investment from the city. Again, this was a 20-year uh, commitment. There would be no, rev share, no revenue sharing for the first five years. And after five years, the city would receive 5% revenue share, where the company would receive 95% revenue share. And then at the end of the 20 years, uh, the city would retain its original fiber ring, essentially what we have right now, with the option to buy what the company built out. Because so much time has elapsed um, from this bid proposal, if you wanted to pursue something like this, we would have to go out to bid again um, and, and get new responses in. Uh, however, these two, in my opinion, these two uh, options don't seem entirely palatable to the city of Palm Coast. The first one requires a large upfront investment. Um, the second one, again, requires an investment at the end to obtain all that infrastructure, and both of those lock us into a 20-year agreement where we don't have control over the fiber network, the other company would have that control. So our intention uh, to, to address the ISP initiative is to um, go with an open access network type of service, which is what Fibern has been doing since 2010, but we want to kind of try to reinvigorate this process. Uh, the benefit to this is that the city um, operates as an open access network and providers and ISPs are able to hop on our network and sell internet to businesses and companies through Fibernet. Um, and because we as a city maintain the infrastructure, that lowers their cost and it helps them to lower the cost they offer to the companies um, as they sell. So we're able to um, reinvest those dollars from what we receive from the providers to expand Fibernet and they're able to provide a lower cost to businesses in Palm Coast for high-speed internet. One of the ways we're looking to reinvigorate this is to bring in a new provider who has a proven track record of um, successful fiber business in Jacksonville. That's uh, Joytel Communications. Uh, we've been talking to them, and they're very interested in, in becoming a provider here. Um, they offer very competitive pricing. Um, again, they have been successful in a very competitive market up in Jacksonville. And, uh, and we're looking to create a standardized agreement uh, for all of our providers on Fibernet that they could, again, hop on our network and provide this access. I know it's been discussed in the past as far as whether we as a city become an, can become an ISP, and we have verified that we can become an ISP for other governments, and we are uh, looking into that. Uh, we actually have the Flagler Clerk of Courts who is interested in creating an interlocal agreement to that end. Um, but as far as becoming an ISP for uh, private companies, it's a, a, a strong uphill battle. So as we continue to work through that and look at that, we'd like to go with this open access model and believe that the partnership with Joytel um, will help to expand the usage of Fibernet throughout the city of Palm Coast. Lastly, there is an opportunity coming that I, I personally think is exciting I wanted to share with you, and that is um, SBA. Uh, they are the third largest tower company in the United States. Um, they have towers all over the country. Um, see the whole, almost eastern half of the United States with over 8,000 towers. Um, they're looking to, to create what they're calling edge pops. And these are basically um, co-location facilities 
that sit at the, the base of their towers where different providers can come in and, and co-locate and it's used mainly for edge computing. So for example, somebody like Netflix would um, rent out space in there. And then when you go to, to watch a movie, instead of that movie being streamed from their servers somewhere in the middle of Nevada, it'll be streamed right here from Palm Coast for quicker access. Um, they've, they've already got some large companies interested in co-locating in these facilities. And originally they were looking at uh, placing this out on 304 in the county um, where they have a tower. And through conversations with them, uh, we were able to, to discuss and get them. They have a tower across the street at the airport. So they're, they're going to be placing this uh, state-of-the-art edge pop facility um, right outside of the innovation district, right across the street at the airport. And I think there's some exciting opportunities there for them to, um, for providers that are going into the facility to use the city of Palm Coast fiber um, to lease dark fiber from us. Um, I also think that uh, this being their flagship location, their, their desire is to put one of these in every county in Florida and then to expand from there. And they've chosen Palm Coast as their flagship location. They're investing uh, a lot of money into this location. Um, I plan to do a lot of press about it. And I think uh, the opportunities there for us and for FiberNet are, are very exciting. So um, with that, I am I'm very excited and optimistic about the future of FiberNet. Um, I'm grateful to serve the community in this capacity, and I welcome any questions you have. May I? <coughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you, uh, Doug, for everything that you're doing, and thank you for the update. Uh, two things just for our uh, council and just for clarity. I wanted to, uh, one, clarify my position on uh, build-out as it's shifted dramatically over the last four years, but then two, also just the uh, edge, pop com uh, edge computing is basically all the craze because what that allows these bigger companies to do that have to have their own data centers is it allows uh, decentralization of their infrastructure. And one of the biggest problems is having in technology is having everything in one place. And decentralization, A, allows co uh, computation to happen at the edge, meaning it doesn't have to go over the wire back to a data center to be processed and have, you know, that latency incurred if they have to go from here back to across the country like Nevada and then, and then come back. So it allows computation at the edge. But um, two, my position on our fiber build-out has dramatically changed over the past four years. I used to be a major proponent of uh, basically the first option with a 3P uh, that we would have a build-out and there would be fiber to every household and the build-out could be complete. And what has changed over the last four years is essentially uh, Starlink and the fact that we in the future, in my opinion, will have broadband access delivered through satellite. Um, and what that means is that our fiber ring is still incredibly valuable to us and we have honoring customers that we can still be servicing and all of the city needs um, that can be serviced by FiberNet. Uh, that's, that's great and we still will retain value from that because we won't be paying for these type of services. But the cost for build out for the last mile to the individual homes or to areas that are underserved will probably be beaten by uh, satellite broadband delivery in terms of uh, effectiveness, but also speed that this will happen. Uh, Starlink has almost uh, 700 satellites now in low Earth orbit, and um, they're already running beta tests now for higher um, latitudes. So basically, the way that the uh, Starlink constellation works is um, 
higher latitudes, so areas like Minnesota and Canada, they're already in beta testing where they can have internet delivery through satellites. And as they add Constellation satellites, that latitude lowers until it'll be on Florida. So it is a little bit uh, longer for us to be able to experience the beta, but in the future, it's my opinion that the satellite broadband delivery mechanism, which will probably be Starlink because they're the only one doing it, will supersede the uh, fiber build out that four years ago, uh, I was a huge fan of because it was the best way to have high, high speed effective internet delivered to our community. And that's really what I think our council's uh, mission is, is to provide what is essentially an additional lifeline now for individuals working in technology, which is high speed, high quality uh, broadband internet uh, for a reasonable rate. So I wanted to clarify my position and, and why I'm not pushing as hard for a, a complete build out of the city because now I see that there are uh, additional avenues to be able to accomplish our goal. And I wanted to thank you for all the hard work that you're doing, Doug, and I know the hardware changeover for the schools and everything was a, a, a huge uh, impediment and just project overall. But also I wanted to uh, thank you for the time that you spent with me and also Bill Eldridge for uh, all the insight that you guys have offered me and uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I just want to let uh, Councilman Klufus know that I am on board with exactly what you said about the satellite delivery. 100% makes sense. So Doug, a couple questions that I had in regards to Joytel. So your presentation is actually asking for us to build a consensus on an option to move forward, is that correct? Uh, no ma'am, looking right now, at the current model we've been operating on under since 2010, um, we're looking to bring Joytel on as, as a provider, additionally to the existing providers, um, trying to make sure that we structure that correctly. So we're still working through those nuances of what that means. Uh, we haven't had a standard agreement that we use for all of our providers across FiberNet, so we're working on standardizing that before we bring them on. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in the background to make sure this is ready to go. Um, and if we do need council approval, we will bring that back before you. Yeah, because I, I think it's important you mentioned this at the beginning of your presentation. I mean, our fiber is an asset. Um, there's no doubt. Uh, when the city council many years ago decided to make a substantial investment into this piece of infrastructure, it was to do so to lower the operational ongoing costs um, of our, our facilities. Um, so we are seeing the benefits of that today. The system is paid for its uh, savings annually of $300,000 right now. So I just want to make sure when we're structuring these agreements, we don't lose control of that piece of infrastructure, meaning we have a public works facility that we're, we're looking to construct and we're looking to do it um, in the most efficient way possible. Um, but that requires an ongoing look at what that's going to cost us. And if we can reduce our ongoing costs operationally, that's better for the taxpayers. Um, so, you know, I, I just would ask when you're going through this exercise of formalizing a relationship with Joytel, that it's one that you don't give away this, this piece of infrastructure um, uh, at the detriment of some long-term value that we're already seeing. Um, we do have another component, and that's a lot of higher learning institutions and hospital systems that are coming to our area. Um, we want to make sure we're, we're enhancing um, our ability for um, future research, 
um, data collection, those sorts of things which require that capacity for those institutions. And so um, as an economic development initiative, we have um, in the past as a council offered some fiber connection as a way uh, for incentivizing that growth, that, that strategic growth uh, for job creation. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, actually this new look, this uh, <laughs> um, you, between you and Bill, uh, the very thoughtfulness of it um, and not incurring those upfront costs but creating a long-term partnership. Joytel has a great reputation um, in this industry and so I'm looking forward to what comes out of it but just to keep in mind every time we as a council say we want more streetlights, we are beholden to FPNL when those streetlights come up. So I don't want to put us in a position where we're beholden um, to other uh, companies when we have invested heavily in this piece of infrastructure um, and to continue to see those long-term ongoing cost savings. I'd like to see that $300,000 number grow with each facility that we're having to add on to. So um, long-term strategic growth I think is important. If there are ways and we do see opportunities, I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, again, with uh, different um, companies that are looking to come here, I just uh, want to make sure we're, we're, we're being very strategic in our thinking and not just give away um, our entire asset. Yes, ma'am, I completely agree with you. And in and, and looking at how we structure these agreements, um, part of what we're looking at is if we have to do a lateral build out, um, who pays for that? But then in the end, how do we structure it so the city retains that asset? Um, so again, going through purchasing procurement, all those different areas, make sure we, we do it correctly, but we are 100% looking for retaining all the assets. And, and I mean, I, I want to make this point clear to the council, because you know, I remember when I was first elected to the county commission and we were in the old courthouse in Bunnell, <laughs> and they constructed a county administration building, and I remember going through the bill runs monthly showing from before to after. Um, those costs for, to operate those facilities, when you, they increase to the amount of tens of thousands a month multiplying that, that's a cost to the taxpayer. So um, we can't go back and say we don't own fiber, we do. Um, we're one of four cities, I think in the state of Florida, one in 100 in the nation that own this piece of you know, infrastructure. So let's make sure we're taking advantage of the opportunities it is paid for. Um, you know, I'd hate for us to just, again, just give it away. So thank you. Absolutely. Any other questions or comments on this issue? Great. We will now move to agenda item number three, which is a presentation update on 2020-2021, adopted focus areas and priorities. <clears throat> Thank you again, Mayor and Council. I'm pleased uh, this morning that staff's here to present the strategic action plan updates and council priorities. Uh, we have a lot of staff this morning, both uh, a few in person, a lot on Zoom. I uh, recall uh, speaking with Council at the outset of the pandemic and tempering or trying to temper expectations <clears throat> on advancements and accomplishments of the strategic action plan, particularly as we knew we were managing our resources uh, fiscally and in terms of staffing, excuse me, through COVID. Uh, to date, um, there have been approximately 24 positions that were budgeted but never filled, and that is 
a result of our freeze or they were left open as part of our early adopted fiscal measures to be prepared to deal with the impacts of COVID-19. And at times with our complement of staff who have been ill or in quarantine, uh, there have been weeks when we have been down approximately 50 staff members as a city. Throughout that, however, I'm, I'm very proud of the strategies employed, the creativity, the entrepreneurialism, and the commitment to each other, the commitment to our city, and the commitment to our residents that staff has displayed time and time again, um, particularly thanks to all the staff who will present this morning and to Denise Bevan, who continues to expertly guide us through this process and absolutely keeps uh, the proverbial train on the rails of this process. And with that, we have Denise here to uh, introduce our presentation. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Good morning, Mayor and City Council. Pleasure to be in front of you again today. Uh, we're gonna start off with a little bit of background so June 16, 2020, City Council adopted a resolution reaffirming your priorities. We have eight focus areas and 40 disciplines under those focus areas. And um, from there, the direction from Council was we need to create some work plans. We really need to define the expectations of Council through an, an actionable item, and we call that our roadmaps. And what you'll see here is a lot of that information coming back in front of you, and then also um, looking for that feedback to give us that direction moving forward. So it's hard to believe that we were here six months ago on July 14th of providing those proposals to you and working through the approaches and also the commitments that we're going to go forward through the adoption of the budget, which of course took effect on October 1. So not intending to read through this, but this is a, um, a graphic supplied by our amazing communications team that shows uh, what we call the strategic action plan uh, for fiscal year 2021, and you see the eight focus areas. And this was provided as part of our citizen survey currently underway. And at the end of the presentation, we're also gonna revisit the strategic action plan evaluation steps uh, this is, of course, to revisit the existing adopted priorities, but also talk about what's coming in the upcoming months. So this graphic is somewhat of a key to how we develop the roadmaps. And again, the roadmaps are speaking to each priority, uh, dissecting them into actionable items, also <coughs> determining if they're multi-year and what does that mean to the success of the priority and also always embracing the opportunity of uh, things that may come our way that um, just further the initiative of the city council. So we start with the adopted priority and you'll see in the upcoming slides a strategy. And that's really um, kind of envelopes the, the creation of what we're trying to do with this priority. Uh, we had budget and resources. Uh, we went over that with you in July. I really want to talk about progress today and where we're going um, in the upcoming months. Of course, coming right back into that strategic action plan process. We talked about timeline, talk a little bit about that today, and then also multi-year planning. So you adopt the priority today, but of course you have to look at it over a course of years possibly to really get to that vision that council wanted to visit. So how the upcoming slides are gonna go is Mr. Morton, uh, set the stage is that we do have numerous staff that basically have um, become champions of these priorities. And so this is our first, it's the Innovation District, 
And as we go through, um, we'll turn it over to the individual staff for the, the basically go over um, the background and have that dialogue with you as we move through. So we're going to start with Medical Ecosystem, the MedNext initiative, and Mr. Morton, I believe this is one that you want to share with City Council on our progress. I think I get the first slide and hopefully I don't get the formatting correct, so uh, jump in and, and help me, Denise, if I go wrong. Uh, Council, previously this was your MedNexus slide. Um, MedNexus is, is coming. There are, as you know, agreements in place with both the University of North Florida um, and Jacksonville University. And now what we're shifting to is this priority doesn't go away. It be, takes on its continued importance uh, for the future of the city of Palm Coast is it is this medical ecosystem uh, that council through the priorities that our community keeps talking about. It's about technology, innovation. It's about economic development. It's about jobs. And so that strategy is revolving around figuring out new ways and continued ways to support, enhance, develop that ecosystem approach that involves multiple groups of stakeholders that give this ecosystem strength, stability, uh, and uh, opportunity to grow and fulfill the goals of the council. Uh, presently, as you know, we have University of North Florida, we have Jacksonville University, we have Daytona State College heavily involved. They're gonna be coming actually to present in the very near future to council on what they've been doing. We have several hospital systems, including one of our uh, consistent partners in Advent Health. And it's all designed towards building this ecosystem in town center that, again, continues to support jobs, continues to support economic development, continues that shift of, of tax burden off our residences to industry, to job growth, and to positioning Palm Coast, specifically in town center, has been, has, has been envisioned all the way along of being that center of innovation and opportunity. Some of the projected outcomes in fiscal year 21 is continuing to build an awareness and a brand, really brand, uh, what Palm Coast Town Center is, uh, that how we are changing, how we are being innovative, how we are open for business through our uh, community development and uh, um, strategic processes, whether it be our TRX or BRX, how we are um, dialoguing and changing that earlier perception that uh, businesses are not welcome to innovate, grow, and reinvest in Palm Coast. We're doing that through our communications plan. We're doing it through uh, the way we conduct business with our partners and prospective partners. Another piece of this that has been uh, in multiple years as a council priority is the concept of developing our tennis center um, into a more internationally focused uh, uh, racket center. Part of it is this concept that has been part of this new development is developing a sports and orthopedic medicine component that fit nicely with town center with innovation and with uh, where the, the actual engine of a lot of the sports economy comes from is in the coaching, training, medicine, orthopedics, kinesiology, um, team training, and building those opportunities. Um, that tennis center component, is, as you recall, is in the town center. It is in our um, district. And so, you know, seeing that build out, uh, the, the construction of the physical facility has been included in last year's fiscal budget and we continue to work on what those developments look like with the end goal of the same thing, another support network to take advantage of the energy of the educational and innovational opportunities. Similar to what's happening at the golf course now where we have in the mid to high 90s of cost recovery, we do not have that at the tennis center. And this is one of the strategies council had discussed in ensuring that 
sports uh, facilities as an amenity, as a quality of life amenity that our residents expect, continue to remain relevant and continue to, to the maximum extent possible, uh, generate revenue to support thrown operations. So this is part of that evolution of moving towards a similar but different model. Again, the, uh, the golf uh, center and what we've done over the last two years to increase profitability. This is this is that approach, that logical approach to do the same thing with the tennis center. And then we're looking to develop uh, additional approaches to foster all aspects of our ecosystem and our town center and branding. Uh, another example of how we're doing that is connecting currently our Parks and Recreation Department with the incoming universities and their student life activities. We want the students coming in to not just rave about their university experience, we want them to rave to their friends, to their colleagues, to their families, to their professors, to their future employers about how fantastic Palm Coast is. And so we want to set up some uh, programs through our Parks and Rec that begins to welcome the students, the faculty, um, and future employees and make them feel like they are a part, that they want to be a part of our community. So we're looking at different ways to foster strengthening all aspects of this ecosystem and, and position it well. Uh, progress to date, just as a review, again, as you know, we have agreements and uh, both draft agreements are coming back for the, the final uh, move on both the partnership with the University of North Florida and with our Jacksonville University. Uh, the establishment of the ecosystem, I believe, is here. Uh, we've laid the groundwork, council has laid that groundwork, and we need to continue to invest our time and energy into making sure we're taking advantage and looking for all those opportunities that come forward. And then, uh, of course, as I mentioned, the budget approval for the preliminary design um, and the construction funds have been allocated in the uh, existing budget, and we look to bring that proposal back to council uh, by March to uh, move forward and begin um, laying the actual groundwork for the improvements to the tennis center. So our next slide within the Innovation District is a hackathon. Uh, good morning, Mayor and Council. Steve Harris, Director of Implementation and Architecture. Um, this year we're going to, first and foremost, build on the successes that we had at the first uh, inaugural hackathon last year um, to host the second annual Tech Beach hack Hackathon. Um, most likely, as the slide says, we're, we're trying to hold maybe a virtual um, hybrid event, event where we have people on site too. Uh, depending on how COVID-19 and, and the restrictions go along throughout the end of the year. Um, but we're looking to possibly hold something um, of a mixture of it sometime in the fall. Um, that gives us enough time to um, see how COVID is going to work out this year uh, and to see what route we need to go. But we're going to be planning as a, uh, as a backup to do virtual and to, to house something here um, locally. Because uh, we definitely want to show off the advances in the city and the MedNex program. Um, to bring people on site if, if we can um, in a safe manner. So some of the progress to date is uh, we've been working on the trademark, the trademark Tech Beach Hackathon. Uh, so hopefully we get that going through uh, sometime soon this year. Uh, we'll be working on creating partnerships and stakeholder meetings to establish innovation and technology events that will lead up to the hackathon. So a little bit more uh, publicity as we go up and, uh, as we get closer to the fall um, to build more momentum onto the second annual uh, hackathon as, we, as, uh, as it's planned. And we'll be working on compiling a project plan uh, for the event planning in the direction we want to go for this hackathon. We're looking to um, not have it uh, specialized in one platform, but open it up to multiple platforms to get a little bit more engagement throughout the, uh, the community and people that want to be involved in it. Um, and working with those, the uh, MedNex program and um, 
the universities to, to go down that, uh, that medical that medical portion of it. And then we'll be, uh, we've been having discussions, like I said, hosting a hybrid on-premise, uh, depending on the COVID restrictions that we have. Uh, so right now, um, that's, that's the route we're gonna go. Not sure, depending on COVID, uh, what's, what's gonna open up for opportunities, because obviously we, we could uh, run into challenges with sponsorships and things like that with the restrictions that are in place. Um, but we are planning ahead and going on with, with hosting some kind of event, uh, whether it be a hackathon or a mixture of a TED Talk hackathon and bringing in speakers. Um, but the plan is to definitely host uh, a great event for us and build off of the, the first one that we had. Okay, now we're gonna move into the Arts District. And this is um, for Lauren Johnston. Good morning, Mayor and Council, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, this is our Arts District that is located in Town Center. Um, we've made a lot of progress to date. Um, back in August, I came before Council and established the geographical boundaries. Um, we've conducted various stakeholder groups um, and meetings with the different art organizations and then also business leaders and developers in our community. We also um, used our cultural arts grant and incorporated an element to host events in town center, um, including requiring participation. We really wanted to see our groups um, being creative inside the arts district. We're currently creating an in-house monthly email newsletter to share all of our group's information that will include all art events and programs in the city that month. And then we're working uh, toward bringing a resolution to city council to dedicate long-term funding for a shared cultural arts facility as indicated in the CRA. And this is the map of those geographical boundaries adopted for the arts district. This is the regional racket centers um, adopted council priority. As mentioned by Mr. Morton, we're including this in our medical ecosystem, um, but this, this priority has been very progressive to date. We've conducted meetings with various stakeholders We've established a project committee to review the regional racket center's design. And then we've set public input meetings for the design of the future facility that begin tomorrow um, that specifically align with wanting tennis program input, then pickleball input, and then general facility as far as programming and event, all in lining with that projected outcomes of reviewing the overall business plan, um, identifying a P3 partnership proposal, um, and then just highlighting the amenity as a whole. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Okay, now we're gonna transition into our business-friendly initiative. And we'll start with the enhanced customer service element, and I welcome Jason DeLorenzo. Good morning, Mayor, City Council, Jason DiLorenzo, Community Development. Yeah, so uh, our enhanced customer service, uh, this has to do with uh, TRX, BRX, and SCORE, and um, doing a, uh, a better job uh, engaging with our businesses. On um, March the, 
On uh, March the 3rd through the 5th, we're holding three planning charrettes, one for businesses, one for the building community, and one for the planning community. At these charrettes, we're going to do some uh, polling and breakout sessions to identify what we do well and what our pain points are in our process so we can understand them better. Uh, we also um, recently, there are TRX staff led by our engineer, Dennis Leap. He created a set of, they created a set of checklists that uh, our reviewers are using to make sure that we don't do duplicate reviews on similar applications. And also we share that with the planning, uh, with the applicant community, with, the, with developers, to uh, help standardize the applications that we're getting to, to uh, improve the workflow that we're getting. So we're getting to look at more similar pieces each time as they come in to kind of help workflow. We continue to work with our uh, Engager building community and hold stakeholder meetings with the uh, Flagler County Association of Responsible Development. And um, during the first quarter, uh, SCORE returned to the building, to City Hall, to do in-person mentoring uh, when that was requested by the client. They continue to do mostly um, virtual meetings, virtual mentoring. Uh, next slide. On our uh, developing a baseline level of service, we've started working, uh, reaching out to other local governments to understand what their uh, current level of service is. We're going to use the information that we learn from our charrettes, what the expectation is from uh, the building and planning community for a, for a level of service. And um, we're going to uh, bring those items back to you in a report with uh, a baseline uh, level of service in the future. Thank you very much. Any questions? Just one quick question. Did you mention Flagler County Responsible Development? Yeah, uh, so um, there's a group uh, based in Volusia County called the Volusia County Association of Responsible Development, and they have a chapter in uh, Flagler County as well. And uh, whenever th these are um, planning professionals, uh, engineers, landscape architects, architects, uh, transportation planners, and, and so on that are part of this association and they work to educate uh, local governments. And so when we are um, need to engage the planning community as a whole, we will work with those groups. They'll help assemble the types of folks that we, we would like to talk to about a process change or suggestion or uh, we actually asked them to come in and they helped us with some questions about surveying and to prepare our checklist as well. So they're, they're a very good resource for us. Thank you. I've never heard of it. That's the reason why, because I wish every developer in this county would listen to Flagler County responsible developer. Thank you. You're welcome. I have, I have one question. <coughs> Sir, uh, thank you, Mr. DiLorenzo. Um, for the charrettes, how are you accumulating the list of people who are uh, invited to these, and do they need to be RSVP'd? Really what I'm getting at is how do we make sure that the individuals who feel like they have something to say but don't actually engage the city, uh, show up so that we can resolve their issues and just so that the, we become aware of all these things. How are you going to accumulate the individuals for these charrettes? So we've, um, on the building side, we went through and looked at our heaviest users in each permit type, created a list, and we will be um, contacting them, and there will be an RSVP system. We're holding it at the community center. Uh, same thing on the planning side. We tend to see most of the same um, 
professionals on a regular basis, so that's a little bit easier to reach out to them and, and ask them to participate, tell them what we're trying to achieve and have them uh, participate. And then we'll be using our BTR records to invite businesses to come out and participate. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Now we'll move into our community engagement focus area. And we'll start with the priority of hosting virtual town halls. And welcome Brad West. Good morning, again, Mayor, Council, Brad West, Communications Officer. Um, the virtual town halls are a great way in, in leveraging technology to better engage the community. We have continued with these. Um, they took a shift to from the, the COVID on to uh, departments and introducing the community to the departments. Uh, in October, we hosted public works. November was stormwater and engineering. And in December, we, uh, we did the communications department. We're constantly looking at these make them uh, something that is very consumable, that's engaging for, for the viewers. And uh, we found that the average view time was about under 10 minutes. And some of these were about an hour long. So we're refreshing those going forward um, to make them a little more targeted in their subject matter. Uh, we're planning working with Helena uh, this month to do something in regards to budgeting and introduce people into the budget process and answer some questions. For, regarding that. Uh, some other ways that we're doing uh, engaging people with leveraging technology is department-specific videos that we've created. Uh, the Public Works video uh, that was created before me did a fantastic job, the team, uh, Kim Norman, Andrew Davis. Uh, and that um, ended up winning uh, American Public Works Association Video Contest Award, which was national recognition for the city. So they did a great job there. Uh, our stormwater and engineering uh, video introduces people to a very complex department that does a lot of things across the city that a lot of people don't realize it's so much more than just whales. Um, we're also, to, and to help in this, we're leveraging our ambassador program. So we've included, for example, uh, we created a video for the Alexa uh, project that came out. We included Megan Farrell, one of our ambassadors, in that to be in that video and that encourages them to share that out, you know, broader and us get more exposure and include the community more in what we're doing in these projects. So it's not just staff all the time. This is also something where we've um, included uh, local businesses in, in like the Mayor's 9090 campaign to help them uh, and we're creating videos and content that we put on as part of our Be Local, Buy Local that they can then pass on and continue to cross promote these campaigns. We've been working with other departments uh, to help engage the community. One example of that was the London Waterway project that came up in a meeting. And um, so we, we worked with them to help get the message out. We offered to conduct that live and do a live broadcast since people can't always be out to these meetings. Um, it, the meeting took on a different uh, evolution that night, but overall it, it set the precedent of what we can do going forward. Um, and this is an area, too, where we leverage that geo-targeting that keeps coming up all the time. And just so we're clear on what that is, is that Steve Harris does a great job where he can pull 
uh, email addresses from our utility bills based upon streets. So this was a very, this was a project that was targeting one particular area in the L section. We were able to pull those email addresses, compose a message in constant contact, and push that out to those individuals to, to build the awareness in addition to the door hangers that went up and the, the flyers that went out and whatnot like that, and the postings that we did on individual Facebook groups and, and whatnot online. So we did get a small participation. It wasn't too large, but it was more than we've gotten in the past with sometimes with different efforts. And working with Steve um, to better streamline that process so we move and maybe shift more into an application that's connected directly with Salesforce so we don't have all these different steps and shift the costs over because we're really not budgeted for that right now to have another system on top of that. Um, and we're just we're keep continuing to engage the audience internally to across departments and better serve them. So one of the things that we did early on working with Parks and Rec and Unifying Communications internally is we created an online marketing request form that is Parks and Rec as well as our department and that's through Salesforce. So the uh, individual departments or any staff across the board can easily access that form. They can submit requests to us and we're able to better communicate um, through them with updated statuses and communicating any uh, uh, material they're requesting directly through that and we can track it better. It's, it's keeping them more engaged and more up to date as to what's going on um, and it gives us some measurements that we can go back to. And we move on to the Be Local, Buy Local campaign. Um, for those who might not be real familiar, this is a campaign raising awareness um, about how the local tax dollars uh, in, that are generated in the community go back to the community and are used to improve the community and provide for things uh, like amenities, like our community center, so forth and so on. So we've been, this is constantly evolving, constantly looking at it. One of the things that we've been doing over the last couple of months is we're theming the months around certain businesses that we're out there to promote, one component of it, um, and help raise awareness to them. And we've built, and we've been looking at cross-promoting where we can. So for example, in December, uh, Jason DiLorenzo gave a great idea. He says, how do, we, how do we help get that messaging out there for businesses that are employing different techniques and have pivoted their business for COVID um, that, could, that could help encourage other businesses and help other businesses be aware with some tips or some things that they can do. So we looked at businesses that were doing some holiday theming, how they're getting you know, the holiday spirit out there, but as well as um, how they're, they're you know, including into that, how are they operating differently? What can they share with other businesses that are out there? We created five different videos that month um, that combined, they had an average views of uh, about 818 across YouTube, uh, Facebook. It was something those businesses very well received. They were very excited because it was something they could use and share out on their channels um, and help promote their business and get more information out there. Um, it's made it's given us something as we approach other businesses and start to speak to them and how we can work with them and help them. They like that. They, it's, it's broken down barriers because it's a little odd sometimes for a government to approach you and say, hey, we'd like to help you promote your business. 
but they're really excited and it was, you know, we're really happy about that. Um, we have two planned for this month and in January, the Mayor's 9090 campaign, we're focused on fitness um, and those partners are out there, they've agreed to uh, hand out flyers and help promote that, that campaign as well as um, us help them in turn and continue to get the word out to the community. Um, we've done presentations to civics groups, so we've taken that offline as well. Um, in October, uh, we presented to the Grand Havens Women Clubs. Um, in December, we uh, with the American Association of University Women, which was my first ugly sweater virtual event, which was a lot of fun, um, a great group. And last night we presented to the American Legion Post uh, 115 over at the VFW. So it's, it's provided us a lot of opportunity to get out and speak when, and engage with the community offline when we can. There are times, the struggle now and not an excuse is that COVID is making it very difficult for these groups to come together. Some wanna do virtual and some don't. So, uh, but we're continuing to reach out on a, on a consistent basis to schedule these and our goal is to, you know, do these on a routine basis every month. Um, we participated as well in the Observer's Holiday Gift Guide, in which was a combination of digital and offline. We did print and we did digital. We balanced that, so we made sure we hit uh, as many people as we can in the community with that, that, uh, that uh, campaign. And then we are currently, we have two contests that we're refreshing and planning for this year where we have a consumer side and encouraging people to share photos um, of their favorite business and whatnot, and that'll be getting up back underway. We were doing a foodie contest that was pretty well received in the past. Um, and then we would like to layer something in for businesses as well that might include a prize like of a, or not a prize, but uh, include an ad package that we can help introduce advertising to them if they're not already doing that, um, as well as help increase their exposure and help encourage people to spend locally. And this falls in line too, just to point out, with our communication survey, um, are the efforts paying off? About 67% of the respondents in that survey have said that they do know what the Be Local, Buy Local program is. So that was encouraging. Um, it's still, you know, want to get up to about 100%, uh, but we, the, the word is getting around people are starting to be more aware of the importance, what that campaign is and what, what it means. And communications plan overall, this is something that we're currently refreshing. Uh, I've taken a look at that pretty, pretty in depth. Um, and some things that we just need to tweak in there is we are, we've, we have the pieces in place and they'll be plugged in. Um, clearly defining the roles of the team members. And this is helpful because we are down two people in our department right now and we're looking to uh, fill those positions. Um, one of which is a digital media associate, which will be very focused on our online community and online channels. Um, we have some interviews set up for that over the next two days. Uh, we've taken a more project management approach to our planning, so we have our general overall plans but we're using quarterly planning and mapping out our tactics that we need and, and, and sharing that across the department so everybody clearly knows who uh, is doing what and what's needed when. And it's something that I can go back and track the progress on um, and we're all better unified as to who's doing what. 
with the various projects and, and various things that we're, we're engaging in. Um, we've also updated our ad strategy, which we're leveraging that and, and expanding it out where it's, it's uh, we're covering all bases, so we're working with the observer, we're working with Flyer Live, WNZF, um, in various ways, and we're tracking those analytics on a monthly basis. So we have, we're able to get some data back, and we can shift um, some of our ad hours, like our citizen survey, uh, we're doing partly digital, but then we're shifting some to print two times this month, so we're covering all bases in addition to the other flyers that we have out there and some of the other offline uh, items. Um, and as well, we're working with other departments, such as Parks and Rec. They are, are bringing back a column in the Observer, which they found very successful that had uh, various events going on. So we're able to leverage our, our department doing the digital rotation that's planned out months in advance, as well as they're using the print and we're getting a good presence and communication out to the community through that, through those channels. Um, and we've implemented a new version of the weekly update that you may have seen, email that goes out. And this was in line as well with the communication survey that came back. And about 78% of the respondents said they like they prefer email as the communication from the city. So we're seeing a really good response with that. Um, we have about a 24% open rate, uh, which is pretty good for industry standards. We're seeing thousands of clicks. Um, as far as where people are consuming that, it's pretty much distributed across the board. We're seeing around 55% on desktop and about 40, 45% on uh, mobile, week to week. Um, and we're getting thousands of clicks on the items that are in there each month. Um, and it's, it's really good information for us to, to give you an example. Uh, one of the highest clicked items um, over the, the holidays was the holiday trash schedule. So that shows the significance of that, that, uh, that schedule and that bit of information and the importance to the community. So going forward, like how we highlight that and the importance of us highlighting that for you going forward. Um, and one of the focuses uh, and goals coming in here was to humanize City Hall. Um, so I really appreciate, for example, the videos that you participated in to encourage people to take the citizen survey. That shows real people that are working here. Other things that we're doing is when we're communicated to us uh, these, these um, great things that our people are doing out in the, the uh, field, we're celebrating that online. And it's, we're getting really good response to that. So we had tree removal um, feedback that came through. We just had uh, really good feedback that came through from Cynthia regarding a swale crew. And we're able to communicate that out and, it, and online as well as on things like LinkedIn, which we're leveraging more. And as we show those things, retirement, um, celebrating the successes of these individuals, it also shows, shows the city and it can help attract talent on that type of channel and on other channels and build, the, build more community across the board. Um, and we're seeking right now to have more of a presence at local events. Uh, we had started, Denise and I, planning to have a city booth at the um, Flagler Home Show. Unfortunately, that event was canceled, so we weren't able to do that. But we want to look at those events and be more strategic and where we can have a presence for be local, by local, things like um, SCORE, you know, in partnership with them, and the other initiatives in the departments that make sense at those particular events. 
Um, and just continuing to work with other departments as much as we can, meet with Parks and Rec on a weekly basis so we can coordinate our efforts. They have a communications team as well as ours, and we have these unified channels. So we make sure that we're on the same page. We've implemented a uh, combined calendar. We share a calendar through Outlook that we can both see what's posting when and plan that out so we don't step on each other's toes, so to speak. And then we, we come up with ideas and, and partnership um, on a weekly basis and staying in communication. Um, with uh, customer service, work very closely with them on an ongoing basis. We get a lot of messages that come through on various channels, direct messages, and we need to, we want to make sure that we're getting them to the right people, getting their contact information. If they don't want to contact customer service, I'm contacting customer service for them in such a way that we can log that and then they, they are kept up to date as to what the resolution is. And then the other one is, uh, another example is the roads. We've gotten communication from them at times like, in, for example, uh, Florida Park Drive was being closed down. And that's a pretty heavily trafficked road throughout the city, pretty major road. So we're able to come up with a communications plan, get that out to the local media, make sure that we were getting it out broadly so people knew um, the feedback that we got that there was no complaints. So it was a time where a data set of zero was, was kind of a good thing to hear. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. So, uh, and we're continuing to monitor. Uh, there's weekly tracking now in place. Uh, for all of our social channels, so we can look at, at uh, key performance indicators across the board and how well we're doing, but also what's resonating with the community, what we need to do better. We are seeing follower growth across the board increase weekly, which is, for me is, is exciting because in a world we're doing this organically, and in that world it's typically said you have to pay today to get that growth, and we're seeing more people come and follow our channels which means we're, we're putting out messaging that's resonating with people. And we're helping build community and engaging people on those channels as well when we can. Any questions? Thank you. Staying with community engagement, we are going to spend some time talking about Palm Coast Connect, and I believe Cynthia Schwears is available by Zoom to give us an update. And then, of course, Steve Harris is here for any additional questions. Good morning, Council. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good morning. Um, so, Palm Coast Connect uh, update. Um, one of the major goals that we had was utilizing real-world experiences, enhancing Palm Coast Connect, and drive efficiencies through data and monitoring integrates customer feedback. Um, obviously, in December, uh, we came with a big presentation of kind of where we're at with Palm Coast Connect. Um, we've been working very hard in this last quarter with um, establishing uh, super user groups within the organization to try to expand where we need some workflow improvements um, and kind of expand where we can build more interface with um, community engagement. Um, one of the things that we've worked hard with, we have implemented um, field service lightning in facilities and fleet. 
Um, we are very close with Parks and Rec and um, the Stormwater. We've, we're, that's our next um, goal in the next quarter is to work on getting them up and running. Um, we've really emphasized on going into detail with our surveys. Um, we're now, you know, we're analyzing the data when, when it comes in where if we, we get a bad survey or we get a survey under three, we're kind of evaluating what that survey t tells us to try to figure out whether it is something that we need more training on, whether we need to um, enhance a workflow. Um, if it was something that was our fault, you know, maybe we needed to uh, communicate with that resident uh, and figure out a resolution. So um, since the beginning, we've really analyzed what, what we've tracked from day one to now. And it's, it's amazing to see that over 7,000 people have submitted good compliments on um, how they liked the Palm Coast Connect case management, which is great. Um, so we're trying to push that more awareness to residents to realize that we want to hear your feedback. We want to we improve our process. Um, so one of the things that I, we've strived upon in this last quarter is a lot more training on the front end of my customer service reps, where we've been doing a lot of training where we're trying to educate the resident coming in the door or over the phone that if we, if you give us your email, we're going to kind of, you can get notifications from start to finish and you can rate how we did. Um, and the, the residents have really been excited to actually be able to get their feedback and give their feedback to us to try to improve some of these processes. Um, so I, I feel like we're really pushing ahead on this engagement with the residents and we're able to see the whole picture and figure out whether we need to, like I said, improve processes. Um, a lot of this ties into the ERP as well. Uh, so we can look at processes, analyze them, and figure out where we need improvements. Um, so it's been interesting to kind of dive into the different departments, and a lot of the um, silos are going down, where a lot of these res um, internal supervisors, everyday users, are excited about some of these major changes. Um, so we're pretty excited about some of the implementations we've had in this quarter, and look forward to a lot of more that's coming in the next quarter. Thank you, Cynthia. So moving into our next focus area, service delivery and efficiency. We'll start with public works as a top priority and I'm going to turn it over to Carl Cody. Yes, good morning. Carl Cody is Stormwater Engineering Department. Um, public works is a top priority. It's in our current budget. It's an active project. This is one where we um, created started several years ago, working on a master plan. Um, we brought on a design firm as well as a construction management firm to begin the process of updating the master plan and to begin the initial phase for moving forward with the improvements. Um, as part of the due diligence and, and master plan updates, um, we, we came back to council, presented some information, and were tasked with looking at uh, the potential of expanding our existing site or looking at alternative sites where we could have a, a real long-term um, area to meet future needs and growth. So we are currently in the, the process of that due diligence. We had come back to council with some of the, the scope of work and needs assessment to, to do that due diligence analysis. Um, we hope to come back uh, in the next month or so um, with that, all that information and, and 
data that we've collected and present our findings to council. So that, that's one, the project is moving forward um, and we will be back to council here shortly with a, a much more detailed update as to where we're at. Thank you, Carl. So our next is about the community center and uh, targeting a relief of parking pressures and this will be Lauren Johnson. Good morning again, Mayor and Council. Um, we are working on a SWOT analysis. It has been completed in this quarter of our fiscal year. Um, we're reviewing that analysis in-house and we'll present to the city manager, uh, but it does include what area lands could be available and also um, parking potential partnerships. Um, in the meantime, our staff did meet with Brookdale Living Center and we, are, we were able to work out a shared agreement to where we would park overflow in their parking lot on evenings and weekends whenever um, they're not experiencing any high traffic. So we do have uh, already established a partner and we're working on establishing um, more grounds through the next quarters. Thank you. And now we'll be shifting to utilities and like to welcome Steve Flanagan uh, to speak to the utility hardening priority. Good morning, Mayor, City Council, uh, Steve Flanagan for the utility department, utility director. Uh, speaking a little bit about hardening of facilities. Um, this, this is or hardening of facilities for hazards uh, by working from the CP the CIP and the operating capital plan. We organize projects within capital and operations. We're looking to continue to complete annual performance measures to mitigate issues caused by flooding due to storm events. And some of the ways that we're doing this is we're, we're installing manhole dishes that are basically circular cups, so to speak, that are installed under manhole covers that help to keep stormwater out of our sewer system. We, we received a grant for over 500 units that will be placed in areas of greatest need. This item is also on your agenda today for presentation later. We have uh, PEP main upgrades. The PEP system was des always designed that uh, the main lines would need to be paralleled as the community was built out. Uh, we have done studies to see what areas are impacted the most by PEP systems and we've already completed two projects to parallel mains within the city. So this will be our third um, PEP parallel project. Study has been completed so the area has been selected and we're getting ready to begin the design process for a third phase. Another item is uh, pump station generators. We have actually completed installation with contractors of 29 of our 35 pump station generators. Uh, this is a big gain for us during storm season. So keep in mind that now these stations will have immediate backup power which allows for our mobile generator units to be used at other locations when there's system-wide outages. It should also reduce some of our tank trucking costs 
in those times when loss of power is greatest. And Steve, those were reimbursed by FEMA, right? Is, am I remembering correctly? Yes. Awesome. Yes, they are. Um, the Department of Environmental Management. Yeah. Great. It also, um, this project was heavily funded through grants. That's oh, my bad. Thing. Thank Thank you, Mr. <laughs> uh, CPA, uh, in addition to that, CPA, CPH engineers are working with us and are roughly 80% now complete with the design of wastewater treatment plant number two's two million gallon day uh, wastewater plant expansion. Construction should begin late this year on this project. Next up, we have the PEP priority power needs. This is a very important priority for keeping residents in their home during extended periods of loss of electrical power to homes in PEP areas. Utility staff worked with our engineering department and IT department to produce maps that show how the PEP system area overlays with the evacuation zones for events that tend to be those that cause area-wide power outages. Hopefully this and other information we will continue to work to, to provide in this major effort to change the power priority for our city PEP customers. We look forward to working with our lobbyists and thank the mayor for her push to get the support for our state leaders in this important effort. Thank you. Thank you. So now we're going to communication um, to improve the communication infrastructure, I believe, Doug. Uh, so as part of this year's uh, capital improvement program, uh, there's budgeted dollars for a uh, refresh of all of our network infrastructure on a large scale. Uh, there's a lot of outdated infrastructure, some of it close to 10 years old, which many of us probably don't have technology in our house that old. Um, so to reduce that liability, we are uh, putting together a plan right now. And once that plan is in place, our goal is to bring it to you this quarter for approval. So sticking with this focus area, we're going to turn it over to Matt Mansell um, with our city fleet and evaluating the electrification of our vehicles. Good morning, Mayor and Council. Thank you, uh, you know, for being with us this morning to, to cover this area. So the city fleet has began the, the process of researching uh, what our current needs are and the available technology for incorporating uh, electric and alternative fuel vehicles into our fleet. Uh, the uh, first process uh, began with taking a look at our current fleet and our replacement strategy uh, along with what was available, proven technology on the market uh, as we look to replace those vehicles uh, you know, within our regular schedule. Um, for those, the majority of our vehicles are uh, medium and heavy duty uh, applications in which the, uh, the market does not have a vast um, availability at the time. So we're going to continue to uh, kind of keep an eye on what the market is doing through uh, the upcoming fleet management seminar uh, in Orlando, as well as other opportunities for um, vendors to showcase 
what is available on the market. For passenger vehicles and uh, small SUVs, we are targeting right now proven hybrid technology and we've onboarded two vehicles uh, this season to kind of take a look at uh, number one, what the um, reliability is and what the service impact will be along with what the training requirements will be for our uh, technicians to service those. Moving forward, we are hopeful that uh, we can get to a full electric uh, application, at least for some of our vehicles. So we're going to partner with uh, Engineering and Carl Cody uh, for the upcoming Strategic Energy Action Plan to discover exactly what our infrastructure requirements will be to uh, um, support those vehicles, as well as uh, a market analysis of what um, the right application would be for vehicles uh, that are available currently. Uh, we also took a look at some of the cities around us as part of our uh, fleet facility um, uh, um, benchmarks that we did recently for the, the new public works facility. Uh, while we were there, we took the opportunity to ask them what they were doing in regards to alternative uh, fuel vehicles and electric applications, uh, and we are paralleling a lot of their efforts. Any questions? Thank you, Matt. Yes, thank you. And now, um, with the topic of solar, going to turn this back over to Carl Cody. So this um, particular priority item is to look at our entire uh, citywide network of facilities and to identify what the outcome would be to convert those facilities over to solar, whether partially or fully. Um, so the multi-layered effort, part of it is you want to identify the, the different types of facilities. You don't necessarily have to study every single fire station. A lot of our fire stations are similar in nature. Um, so we, we put together a listing of the different types of facilities we would want to look at and have studied. We've done some research on uh, what consultants out there do this type of analysis. Um, and some of those analysis include, you know, how those retrofits are done, you know, whether they do them, whether we do them, who funds them, how the payback is done. It, it's very similar to, we, we did an energy analysis uh, years ago, it would be similar to nature what we did with Siemens, uh, you know, 10 years or so ago. Um, so we're in the process of, of having an RFQ put together so we can go out there and, and find a firm that can come in and put together that analysis and study and report that we can come back to council and present our findings to be able to determine how we move forward with this particular item. Um, part of this one here is in looking at our public works facility. That one, it, this one, our design team is actually tasked with, you know, that one is going to be a LEED certified facility and part of it was to also look at solar and how that may be incorporated into the design and what that would mean either whether it gets incorporated now or the future um, as well as, you know, electric fleet or other, other means out there as well. So with the infrastructures in place, uh, the design is ready for it, whether it moves forward now or potentially in the future. I think that covers this item. Thank you, Carl. 
So the next is about waste collection and specifically the examination of our contract recycling options and moving into the evaluation of those contract needs. Mr. Morton, I believe you want to take. Yes, thank share. you, Denise. As council knows, we have until I believe it's May 22, uh, where the solid waste contract will be expiring. Council has indicated uh, the, the preference and desire for us to go out to the market and see what our opportunities are for waste collection in the city of Palm Coast. I know when I first came on board about two years ago, having a lot of difficulties with Waste Pro, and I think through our customer service system, through Palm Coast Connect, we've identified and solved a lot of those ongoing conditions. I think we've you know, uh, learned a lot about what our residents expect is the point of that through our Palm Coast Connect system and what they want through waste collection. Um, however, we also know the landscape on waste collection, especially in terms of recycling, has been changing. And so the strategy here is to review our existing contract um, and also to uh, review contracts across the country to conduct regional and national surveillance of what is going on, what are the industry trends, um, and how communities are coping with uh, changes from waste haulers, waste companies, what their, what waste companies' practices are. Um, so that we can craft uh, a new request for proposal uh, for a new contract. Uh, we've engaged a consultant um, and we have begun working with them. We've com completed a review of our contract and hope to bring all those ideas together back to you in the fourth quarter of, of where we're at. Um, from the beginning, we've envisioned some type of section uh, by section community engagement to form a needs and wants analysis really understand uh, what people are desiring, what they see moving forward, what issues remain the highest priority to them, um, and what issues they'd be willing to discuss uh, in terms of citizen preference, particularly maybe in the means of type of collection or days of collection, or um, you know, if, if recycling appears that it's going to be an additional cost, what cost or what system do people want to engage in? Um, so both a citywide and hopefully section by section, a very targeted engagement program to really communicate with our residents. This is one of those areas, as council knows, um, is a huge service um, and it affects people's lives every week. And so, you know, the importance of really connecting and understanding uh, what we're doing. So progress to date so far, um, again, selected a consultant to help us understand and analyze our contract, contract options and industry trends. That process has kicked off. We're conducting a uh, evaluation and needs analysis. There was a uh, early question in the citizen survey just to start, I think, to get people's awareness and gauge some feedback about the issue of waste collection as a whole. Uh, and we are designing uh, more specific um, surveying, questioning, and presentation materials that are Palm Coast specific to uh, directions and ideas that council may have on moving this contract forward. And now we'll move into the ERP analysis enterprise resource platform. So staff has been uh, engaging with Government Finance Officers Association, GFOA, uh, the past few weeks in meetings, uh, mostly administrative, just getting the project um, set up. Uh, there is an official kickoff scheduled for January 20th with most city staff uh, attending. And there's also uh, 13 separate meetings scheduled to review 13 different business processes of the city. Um, by the beginning of April, all those business processes should be mapped out as they are now with uh, GFOA's analysis of how they should be done. And then we're scheduled for, uh, by the beginning of May, we should have a plan of action 
of how we should move forward as a city with our software. And this priority has a focus on um, service delivery, specifically electricians. And I want to turn this back over to Matt Mansell, please. Thank you, Denise. So, Mayor, members of council, this uh, item really began with the focus on the amount of outsourcing that we were accomplishing or, or reaching out to do in regards to electrical services in the city. Um, so we looked for ways to train and expand the expertise of our public works personnel and, and facilities maintenance to hopefully take on some of that work. Uh, we have identified uh, several training courses that have um, strengthened their capabilities. We do see um, a need in the future uh, to take on some uh, licensed electrician staff uh, if we want to continue down the path and, and uh, reduce the amount of um, outsourcing that we currently do. Uh, however, this, this also um, expanded to the rest of the department and that it gave us the, uh, the uh, capability to look at what were we doing in-house versus outsourcing and what we might be able to take uh, in-house in the future. Uh, so we have had several other gains and, and opportunities that came to us uh, through this look in that uh, not only are we doing more electrical, um, we, we have also taken on uh, HVAC courses and taken some of that uh, in-house. Uh, we have taken on the fuel tank cleansing operations and, and done training with our staff in order to uh, eliminate the need to go out uh, um, you know, to the market to do those uh, fuel tank cleansing, uh, which helps us in many realms. Uh, and we've also uh, recently had the opportunity to bring in-house uh, the repair of guardrails throughout the city. Uh, so we did have a staff member that came on board uh, that volunteered the fact that um, in, in a previous job that they had conducted this and offered to train other staff. Uh, and, and in doing so, we've been able to insource uh, all of those operations at a great savings of not only time, uh, but money as well. So we continue to look for, you know, how else can we um, develop our staff uh, to do things efficiently and effectively uh, with the tools and the, the um, skill set that we have uh, with the vast talent pool that we already have in-house. Thank you, Matt. And now we're going to move into staff development, uh, succession planning, and give it back over to Mr. Morton. Thank you. I think we have uh, you know two slides that are going to overlap a little bit. One of them is staffing development in terms of succession and planning across all departments, and part of it is in succession and workforce development. Uh, what Matt Mansell was just talking about was what started as a priority with looking at electricians. Uh, we realized quickly that you know, the theory and the strategy behind that has a broader application to ensuring that we're carrying out the council's goals of being fiscally responsible, developing our staff, providing opportunity, and increasing our capability to serve our residents. Uh, along the staff development and succession plan, um, we have a strategy that we're analyzing our current workforce and our workforce needs. We're working with directors and supervisors to identify critical positions in the city uh, not just for today, but for tomorrow. We're trying to get a handle on the next, on the next evolution of what our needs are moving forward as we 
you know, change technologies and change our approaches, how we're future readying our workforce and our workforce deployment uh, to meet the needs of our city tomorrow. So as part of that process, we're really trying to drill down and understand what those key competencies, what those key skills are that create a business continuity for city operations. So uh, we have depth and the, the appropriate level of depth in the organization that when someone retires, someone moves on, that we haven't lost either the, the continuity of our business operations and our service delivery to the public, but also just as importantly that we haven't lost internal operations, continuity, um, you know, move, moving ahead. Part of that, this process has involved a really um, intense um, analysis of how we continue to operate as one city, how we break down interoperability silos that have existed in the past, and how we share that knowledge we have in identifying uh, cross-training opportunities, as, as Matt Mansell mentioned, um, across the city, and again, that are going to help us serve our residents better. Um, so through a collaborative process as part of our outcomes for 21, we're working on developing and implementing a progress scorecard to be more specific on our reporting measures to council um, and looking at providing a biannual update on this scorecard um, you know, to the city and to the executive team. Some of the highlights we've taken uh, so far um, in the last months to move this priority forward was a retirement analysis with HR. It's the first time the city's done that. And we're looking at a five-year um, skill, skill set loss. So anyone who's eligible, obviously we don't know when someone may retire, but if they hit that eligibility, with, they're within five years. That's a good predictive indicator for us that we have potential to lose that individual and their skill set. So analyzing that and realizing what can we do to transfer that knowledge or, or you know, increase our strength in that area with the potential of someone retiring. Um, and we've noticed some trends. We've noticed we have a lot of folks in, in critical positions in wastewater utility. Uh, we have some critical positions in our um, building planning division. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're starting now to strengthen internally. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit about what's well, the next bullet. Our intern program, which I know is actually a standalone presentation today, but it's a novel approach. Um, staff identified that need, that potential loss, and the need for internal skill set for continuity and for, and for future and have created an in-house cross-training opportunity that was specifically approved. Our plan was specifically approved by the state of Florida and is going to allow us to cross-train our building and planning folks in-house and increase our capability. Um, we're, we're continuing on. In fact, this week I have the first meetings of both the Light Team and the Palm Coast Leadership Academy. Those are two um, classes that I lead. Our Light Team is our um, up-and-coming talent, is our up-and-coming managers in our organization. And we, we sort of bifurcate a class for them where half is learning new paradigms of how to think. We're not telling them what to think, but giving them the tools, the skills, the framework so they can become better leaders, better managers, and more uh, strategically analyze and look at operations. And part of it is a project. The light team still revolves around them creating a useful project that advances a city goal. Looking forward to that session. And then similarly, we have the Palm Coast Leadership Academy, which is focused on our more senior level uh, folks, and it's a more in-depth focus without a project specific, but with the, with the idea of building cross-functional relationships across departments, increasing familiarity and a mutual respect of what different departments do and how we support each other, and then similarly learning new skills, new applications, new frameworks for thinking, um, and teaching people how to get uh, more creative, innovative, and how to use that with a real, with a real baseline. Um, along the way, the whole time, directors and our assistant directors continue to identify 
staff for training and development. Uh, we're continually looking for expanded opportunities and breaking that mindset of who should attend meetings or who should take on different responsibilities, all, all with the intention of strengthening people's experience and their comfort level with taking on new tasks and, and contributing more to the organization. The assistant city manager recruitment is uh, underway. We expect to have a published announcement, I believe, early February uh, with a four-week advertisement period, hopefully interviews in uh, March with a starting date for uh, new assistant city manager in April. And internally, we're working on what we call our year of connections. Um, as a staff, we're, we're working to connect even more than we ever have with an emphasis on training, with an em emphasis on mentorship, with an em emphasis on personal and professional development, and an emphasis on eliminating um, silos that hinder our ability to uh, quickly and competently uh, serve our public with one, with one effort. Um, echoing a point that Jonathan said, when someone contacts a city, um, they don't care what department they may get shuffled to. They want to know that we're going to solve their problem quickly and efficiently. Um, and so we're going to really emphasize on how we get uh, even better at that in this coming fiscal year. And so this slide dovetails with our uh, staff development and, and workforce. Um, our strategy here is through our budget process. Um, I've started requesting as of last year that staff inventory department levels of service demands evaluate organizational charts and opportunities. Again, what we do in-house versus outhouse, what we do with external vendors, more importantly, um, how we get smarter at it. Um, so each department um, this year is producing an assessment of staff resources and service demands, um, and we're going to update that and keep those resources, um, you know, in our budget thinking and in our staffing decisions through the budget cycle. So those analyses are underway. Part of the way we're doing this is through uh, Palm Coast Connect. You've already heard us talk about how we've learned about overtime opportunities to save money through utilities by structuring and staggering deployment of our pep tank crews. Um, that, there's an efficiency. You heard us talk about the efficiency we created through Palm Coast Connect with um, now we have a fast response crew through Public Works because our field service lightning work order system reduced the amount of time and intensity for responding to tree calls. And now we're able to expand uh, deployment and get more uh, productivity serving our residents. Those are two short-term strategies. A longer-term strategy we're developing is using our Palm Coast Connect data as a predictive indicator. And that happens when we break down silos. I'll give you an example. We're having a record installation season for pep tanks. Uh, we're installing more PEP tanks, you know, in this current 12-month period than we have in a long time. We also know that PEP, ha PEP tanks have a useful service life, a window of which they'll start needing repairs and a window of which they'll probably need replacement. By starting to learn that and input those data points into our field service lightning and Palm Coast Connect tools, we're learning a few things for the future. One, to be able to plan better budgetarily for when these repairs and replacements will come due, given an average service life. And two, we also know that it requires a certain minimum level of staffing to be able to respond to actually solve and fix these pep tank problems. So we're hoping to start creating these data fields um, and, and tracking all this information that we typically in the past have taken for granted to help us, again, not just be better today, but understand maybe in five years or seven years when we expect the, the current 2,000 uh, pep tanks that are installed to need service or need replacement, that we're ahead of that, that we're that we've been thinking about that that time period coming, and we're preparing for that reality. 
Thank you, Mr. Morton. And I would like to offer Cynthia Schwears a, a couple of minutes here just to talk about this slide that does highlight some of those data points that Mr. Morton was talking about. So as Mr. Morton had discussed, um, a lot of these reports are, are, are driving our accountability, our efficiencies to kind of look for the future and kind of prepare for, you know, budgeted areas on where we need to kind of prepare for the future. Um, so I kind of wanted to show you guys some dashboards of showing that, that accountability and that transparency that we're seeing every day. Um, as you can see on the top portion, it talks about public works and seeing their average response time and, and telling, you know, showing that, you know, we are responding, we are getting things repaired, but now it's the other side of the story. So we, on the wastewater side, um, he touched upon a little bit of our increase in um, work orders, cases coming in and seeing that demand, seeing that trend. And as you can see, um, they average a lot of work orders monthly, um, a lot more than they did, you know, with the demand coming up, you know, a thousand, over a thousand cases a, a month. And then, you know, yeah, we're responding to them, but overall the work being scheduled is causing some, some outlook of what we're looking for the future. So one of the things that we've had to look at in the wastewater division was have, um, having outside contractors help us try to keep up with that demand. Um, so we were able to use the reports and kind of confirm what we already know is that we needed more help in the field to try to respond to that. Now we're able to look at that data and kind of expand to that. So now budgets come in next year, there might be some look at whether we need more contractors or we need more people within wastewater. So we're able to kind of look at that demand and look at that trend and kind of expand on it with, with this reporting and more to come down the future. So it just shows that these reports are giving us that data that we already see. And you know this is a big portion of looking at st staff development and workforce for the future to kind of come up with what we see in trends and kind of looking at what our five-year plan is or our next few year plan is on whether we need to replace or get more staff to help with that demand. So I just want to kind of show that picture and show that we are looking at that on a you know daily basis, monthly and quarterly. So, so thank Matt, you. Matt, I have a question then. Um, this demand uh, is just due to the fact of um, what we set as a council of an expected um, service delivery, meaning how many miles of swale to replacement of pipes, those sorts of things. So is this all encompassing and all of that piece of infrastructure for wastewater? So that's a, that's a phenomenal question and that's where we were gonna go with, with the presentation is, you know, some of these metrics, we don't have established levels of service and that is council's purview to set those levels of service. Some of this data we're collecting, as you know, this has been the first year we're collecting it. So what we're trying to do, if I'm understanding your question, in areas where council has set level of service expectation, we are definitely measuring against that and learning how we how we exceed that and if we can, why and bring back options for council. Are we overstaffed? Are we is technology you know the the enabler? You know what do we need to keep pressing into um, on areas such as maybe pep tank maintenance? What Cynthia is getting at is you know we've got a great response time in initially responding to your call. You call us, we're responding very quickly to come out on site, analyze and say okay. Uh, we're going to repair it this week or you need a pep tank replacement we don't have an established level of service of what should that be a week should that be two weeks should it be a month 
uh, you know, what, what is the expectation that council believes is, is appropriate. And so part of that we're learning through the expenditure relevance and tracking this data. And then part of it is, is us coming back with this data through budget and council beginning to set uh, a series of oughts and expectations as you always have of what service uh, response needs to be to keep our community um, satisfied and what, the, and what their expectations are. So um, I hope, does that answer or did I not? Yeah, so, so I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, when we set our priorities and our goals, um, you know, obviously uh, public safety encompasses a lot of different areas. When you're talking about our fire services or response with law enforcement, um, those are different than, right, the, the pieces of infrastructure that also uh, require um, some prioritization. So we know our response time set by former councils for fire is seven and a half minute response time, so we allocate the appropriate resources right. to meet that response time. So this particular um, area is a prioritization, as you can see by former slides, um, uh, to ensure that our residents uh, we're being responsive to and, and in a timely manner. So. When you come back with the data, are you looking at just different departments or are you associating them with a associated priorities that exist? We're looking at associating with any priorities that exist um, and where they don't, where we don't have a, 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 a you know, either a pro established priority or a um, metric for us to be able to benchmark or perform towards level of service. We're going to be hopefully asking council to give us guidance on what those expectations should be that all of these things, to your point, that you know, the, the, the transparency, accountability, efficiency, how that dovetails in with what council expects and is established through priorities and service, that you have a greater awareness of areas that you haven't in the past because no data existed. Um, and how we are ensure that one, you're aware, and two, that the community and you are satisfied uh, with those levels of service. And if not, then it challenges us to figure out whether it's, again, technology, whether it's staffing, whether it's new approaches, to, so we establish and define levels of service that people want to see in, in their community. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think this is a good um, baseline. It's certainly helpful for me to understand. And then the last piece of that is communicating that to our residents, what those expectations are. I often find um, a lot of the correspondence I get is they just want to know when, right? They want to know when to expect um, their swale uh, to be cleaned out. And if we set that level of expectation and we don't meet it, that's when our residents become disappointed in our services. So um, I think this is a, a fantastic way to create a snapshot in these departments to see how we're doing. And then for you to asset, um, assess the associated expenditure for resources aligned with that. Correct, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on into communications, which is a focus of strengthening relationships, even though not listed here, we're talking about those key stakeholders. I'm gonna take this slide and briefly go over it. Uh, so uh, with the council's adoption of this priority, the focus was on those agencies that we regularly coordinate with. Just to give some examples, uh, St. John's River Water Management District, FDOT, uh, Florida Inland Navigation District, those uh, points of contact that we really need to have relationships with, not just when grant cycles come about or there's a project, but making sure that there's a point of contact within our organization that has that strong connection with the agency. Um, so what we've established through this priority is that 
we naturally have liaisons. So you have disciplines within departments that we're managing projects. Uh, Carl Cody with DOT, um, myself uh, coordinating with Florida Inland Navigation District. So we, we visualize this as saying those staff keeping everyone abreast of how their relationship is, how are they meeting with these agencies on a quarterly basis, what are the projects, uh, what are the timelines, keeping Mr. Morton in the know, um, using what's established in our structure of the quarterly reporting and trying to have that as a clearinghouse opportunity to keep track. So you've identified those agencies um, and FPL is included in that, correct? Yes, Mayor, thank you. Great, I just want to make sure. And the next is communicating actually with the public on our stormwater projects and city council. I'm going to turn this over to Carl Cody. Yeah, so obviously stormwater is a, a very critical item. Our enhanced stormwater program it is, you know, continues to grow annually. Um, and we do have a lot going on in our stormwater system. So, you know, part of this is keeping the public informed as to what we are doing, one, with the funds they are paying towards stormwater and how we're helping to make their system better and the overall city stormwater system function better and, and maintained. Um, part of it is, you know, having that interface with them. We do have a lot of interaction out in the field with our staff when they do call in. We do have that face-to-face um, -face interaction very often with, the, with uh, citizens. Um, we have also worked with Palm Coast Connect doing that geofencing, making the citizens aware of upcoming projects. Um, we've done the, the labeling on the vehicles, the putting the signs up as to where we're working that it is a stormwater project that's underway. Um, and one of the big things that we've also worked on that not also in, entails our stormwater, but it, it's our overall CIP projects. And I'll pull this up. What we have is a, it's a GIS map, and this is one that lists all our active projects, and it allows a citizen to search with um, their address. Um, they can put in their address. This is one we're working also with Steve Harrison and getting their connect, you know, that link up with Palm Coast Connect that will happen, you know, eventually at some point in time. But right now they can come in here and type in their address and they, they'll pop into their house and see all the projects around their house. They can filter it by type. So if they just wanted to see stormwater projects, you know, you can see the various colors on the map go away um, depending on what the projects are. Um, they just want to see what's under construction. They just want to see design. It's a, we've had not just from public, but just city staff members, you know, saying this is so helpful to them to know what's happening out there in the city. You have your pick tool here where, you know, you can see Old Kings Road and the project comes up, say, okay, construction's 20% done. Here's a little information on the project. You know, these are the dollars. Oh yeah, there's a grant tied to it. You know, this is when we think we're going to be done with the project. Here's some emergency contact numbers if there's some major issue. Um, here's the, a link to some of the drawings and in, in construction items. You know, maybe there's some construction photos. Um, so you can see it, it goes through all the various projects and it has that basic information where 
people can be aware. Um, they know there's contact information, there's useful information in terms of what the project's about. Um, you can scroll around the map, you can see different information. Um, at some point in time, once we have archived projects, you'll be able to go in here and look at past projects, you know, and, and get information as to what that project was about. So it's uh, been very helpful. Um, lots of positive feedback received regarding this particular item. Is there um, a way to add uh, just a chat feature on that to make sure if a resident is um, addressing this particular project, is associated with it, and then somebody internally can be responsive very quickly? Um, we haven't discussed that. We have a tab on the internal portion of it where in staff members internally can in share information, but we haven't set up the, a public contact yet. We do have the, a link to their email or Palm Coast Connect. If they do want to have a, a link to them, they click on the link and it'll, it'll go right to Palm Coast Connect and send information on that project that way. It's, the way it's currently operating. This would be nice to see, like, if, you know, if, if it's an associated, I mean, so do you take the data that's associated with Palm Coast Connect and draw that data back in associated with that particular project to build out a dashboard to understand how many associated questions or responses are coming in? Yeah, we, we will definitely have that, that those talks internally and see how we can get something like that set up. Thank you. This is great, by the way. I mean, we didn't have this capability before, frankly, and uh, a lot of calls into uh, Cynthia's remote, um, into her department uh, customer service uh, we're directed towards these calls. We know it's a priority for our, our residents. Uh, drainage is a big issue. So we re really want to um, say thank you and very appreciative of this approach. And I think it's giving more access to our residents. Okay, we're going to move into street lights and safety and going to turn it back over to Carl Cody. Our, our first time is in particular is our street lights. Continuous street light program has been ongoing and continues to move forward. We have a, uh, a lot of initiatives underway. Um, we have obviously projects under design and some under construction. And just to run through the status of those, Belter Parkway, which was taking us from Palm Coast Parkway to State Road 100, it continues to uh, develop. Poles continue to go up. Um, there continues to be a shortage of materials. Um, there are our segments are slowly getting lit up. They they do have some transformers that they're not able to get their hands on. We don't have all the poles in place. Um, however, the contractor is making do with what he does have. He's boring conduit. He's putting in poles he does have. We've been able to keep him here on site to do, doing something along that stretch of roadway while he waits for the remaining items to come in. Um, dates on when those are coming have not been very forthcoming from the manufacturers or FPL. He's a, he's a subcontractor for FPL. Um, but luckily, work hasn't halted. We continue to move forward. Um, we do have our next segment, which would be Ravenwood. The design's done. The FPL agreement's done. It's in their 
construction schedule to get on the list as a project. We anticipate sometime in fall for that to happen. Seminole Woods Parkway is under design and Belter Parkway is about ready to get kicked off for design. So some upcoming projects coming, those will go in next year. But this initiative continues to move forward. And in addition to the street lights, we were asked to look at residential areas for additional street lighting. We do have an opportunity for residents to go out there and request street lights at intersections. We have about half of our intersections currently lit. The city had gone in at one point in time and put lights in at all the bus stop locations, some hazardous intersections. And then we do get requests from citizens for that. We did go in and revamp our website as to how that's done. And we're already working on finalizing the Palm Coast Connect integration. So a citizen can go in and put in that request and the whole workflow can be tracked through Palm Coast Connect. So that's a major enhancement that we've done with that particular item. And our ultimate goal is to come up with a long range plan of how we move forward with lighting the remaining intersections. It's obviously tied to the budget. It's also tied to FPL's ability as to, because these are all single light locations. FPL likes to combine several of these together at one time. FPL also has an initiative where you can request a street light at your home as a security light. You get billed directly, the resident does, but it allows them to add a light that will shine towards the resident's home. So we're looking to add that link in, that program information that's available, just more of an awareness for the resident that that option is out there for them. Thank you, Carl. So our next priority is specifically on the homelessness and Mr. Morton was going to speak to these initiatives. Thank you. So we're working to evaluate potential legislative actions and we're assessing existing ordinances locally and within other communities. We're actually in the middle of drafting some local legislation for council consideration. Reticent in reminding of the fact that the city is not a service provider. We are relying on the county and the state as our service providers. Our goal is to bring forth some legislation no later than September. Hopefully this will materialize sooner. We're working with our Flagler County Sheriff. We're obviously working with a lot of different property owners who have been impacted and understanding some of the successful strategies that have worked on a local level, more importantly that have worked legally to begin to address this homeless issue in the city of Palm Coast and address the complaints and concerns we've received from citizens, from the health department, from environmental concerns and other avenues. Again, we're focused on a legislative aspect because we are not a service provider, not looking to get into the service provision business. And we are working with a broad partnership to make sure what we do is hopefully effective. More importantly is understood and enforceable and will drive the solutions that our community is looking for as we move forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Thank you, Mr. Morton.
Thank you, Mr. Morton. Our next is about emergency communications. This item is managed by our fire department. Mr. Morton, thank you. Good morning, uh, Mayor and Council. Uh, just to give you an idea, we started the uh, radio communications transfer over from the old system to the new system back in 2019. And if we could recall back, um, the county did an assessment to figure out where would be the best locations. They found the locations. They put in new hubs, generators, backup systems. Uh, they built new towers. Um, and through 2019, that was the main focus. In 2020, they moved into an area of uh, concern where the existing radio system on June 23rd was struck by lightning not once, but twice. Um, we lost a significant amount of, of radio communications. Um, compliments to Jared Shoup and his team. They, uh, they resurrected that system to get it going for the time being. We were down for a couple of hours. And the decision at that point was made to, to go ahead with the new system that was already in the county. Um, they moved forward. They, within a week, they distributed um, all the equipment to the sheriff's office, all the equipment to the fire service the following week, um, and we were up and running on a brand new system, um, which was supposed to be pushed out until August. It was done in July. Um, kudos to that group. Um, in the time since then, um, they've been able to complete the install. All the, all the stations are now operating off of, of uh, radio pagers, and um, probably by the end of this week or next week, the station house radios will be worked and activated. Um, one of the things that we did get done is the assessment team went out in the last two weeks to find out exactly how well are we doing. Uh, the goal was 95% of the, of the locations east of US-1 should have 100% um, service. So um, they went out and they found many of these locations that we had problems in the past on the radio system that we had, um, and they were much more improved. Um, Right now, we are waiting for Mock Alert to get done with their installation of the communication uh, details within the stations. Um, these are the finer points of fine-tuning, or if you, you talk in builder's terms, the as-builts. Um, the, the infrastructure's in, the main structures are in, the software's in. Now we're looking at the things within each station or each department that's going to make each department operate according to what their requests are. Um, I would imagine we would probably have, after turnover, by the end of this month, a final assessment on uh, the, uh, where the weakest parts of the, of the communication systems are. Um, in about six to eight weeks, we'll have a final uh, list of parts and, and invoices that we're going to need to purchase. Uh, we'll present that to the city manager within the next six, eight weeks. And then uh, by then, we will be probably up and running in April, completely 100% where we're supposed to be. So, um, Chief, when you... Um implement some of the technology and it goes live, uh, do you do some active scenario training between intergovernmental agencies? We, we have been doing a lot of communication back and forth, but basically what we've been doing, uh, if you remember the commercial, Can You Hear Me Now? Um, we've got crews that go out all over the system and all they're doing is talking back and forth. Uh, we did a rollout early on with the training when we first got the radios in July. Um, we did an extensive amount of training with, uh, it might be a radio, but there's so many buttons, so many connections, and, and people got used to it very quick. Uh, part of one of our performance measures is in, internally in the city is to work with the departments on yearly radio training so that all the city departments get an opportunity to learn how to use the radios. And if they haven't seen them in that year, 
sometime before hurricane season, we'll get out there and teach them how to use the radios. Um, for us, it's a, it's a daily event. We're constantly in the radios, going to different tag channels, going to different groups. It, it's pretty commonplace for us. Um, and interoperability between all the cities in the county, as well as the county, has, has never been better. Yeah, I just, you know, it occurred to me, um, you know, last week, obviously, we witnessed an unprecedented attack on our capital. Um, and I just want to make sure that we are going through scenario training so communication can exist between our law enforcement, our first responders, fire, EMT, as well as um, the different municipalities and the county as well. So um, that's, that's really critical, uh, and, and certainly you would never think you would need it uh, as much as we witnessed, but I just want to make sure we're fully prepared. What, what this option also does more so, um, working within the county, very simple, when somebody comes in from outside the county that have the same radio system, it's a simple patch over at the dispatch center that allows us to talk to not only in-county folks, but when anybody comes in from outside, we can immediately talk to them as well. Very cool. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for all your work. Our next slide is focused on security cameras of city facilities. Doug? Uh, so as it relates to this priority, the uh, installation of security cameras at Holland Park has been completed, uh, that being our highest priority because of the vandalism that was going on there at the time. Um, and we're currently working through uh, the guidepost assessment to create a, a master plan for the city as to where we need to put cameras and infrastructure next. Okay, our next uh, focus area is street maintenance. And we'll start with development of alternative funding options, turning this back over to Carl Cody. Yes, good morning again. This is an, an item that um, engineering departments work in, hand in hand with the finance department. It is an initiative that started several years ago. We uh, brought in a firm that came in and, and did uh, an assessment of all our roadways. They did it basically uh, an infrared uh, electronic analysis of the, the, each roadway and gave an assessment of pavement condition index. We're able to have that data and inventory all our roads and the condition of our roads. And they had a recommended strategy on what that condition should be. Um, once a roadway gets to a certain condition index, it can deteriorate rapidly. So there's a, a point of of item or a point of condition of when you want to resurface the road or apply some sort of rehabilitation. And based on the type of roads, we broke them down into two categories. We had our residential roads and then we had our arterials and collector roadways. Um, they serve two different types of functions, two different types of vehicles and, and capacity of vehicles. So they do have a different, once a little higher level service, um, so there was a recommended plan that was put together based on all that data. It creates a very scientific analysis of what roads we do resurface and when we resurface them. This is something that we would look at doing every five years or so, at least for the first two or three times. So we have, for our particular area, um, there's lots of factors that contribute. Weather, water table, amounts of rainfall, types of traffic. Um, so it's not... it's. You can forecast it, but there's so many varying factors 
your forecast can not always 100% accurate. Um, so we do have a plan that was put together in terms of where we stood with our roadways. Um, and to give some history, you know, a long time ago, there was a 10-year period where there was sales tax that was collected that was set aside specifically for resurfacing the roads in the city. And at that time, the bulk, if not almost all the roads, were resurfaced. Um, then we went through a period of time where we had very few roads that had to be resurfaced because they were all done in roughly a 10-year period. So we got to a point where you know, we need to go in and, and start addressing our roadways so we don't get behind and need to resurface every single roadway in the, in the city in a short period of time. So we, we have put together a, a recommended plan. Um, obviously it exceeds the available funding that we receive. The primary funding that comes in is, is a portion of the gas tax in uh, state revenue sharing that gets tied to the maintenance of roadways. Um, so we've been assessing, okay, how, how can we fund that, that shortfall to maintain our roadways on a consistent basis so we can have a long-term uh, strategy plan moving forward where we're not trying to play catch up and then be in a huge <coughs> pull and, and seeking a, a, a big amount of money. So we've uh, worked jointly with finance. Um, we've done some uh, research uh, in terms of what other cities and municipalities across Florida are doing. How are they funding their road maintenance programs? Um, what dollars do they have coming in? How do they supplement that funding? Um, we've collected a lot of that data. We continue, continue to reach out and uh, seek other in input. Um, nothing alarming has, has come to fruition on this. Um, we have also reached out to FDOT. We know the gas tax has been fairly flat over years and as cars become more fuel efficient and electric vehicles come online and, and then with COVID people are driving less, you know, all these are impacting the revenue coming in, the cost of doing the work is going up much higher than any potential revenue increase. We're actually seeing a decrease. Uh, so we um, are looking at ways to make up those dollars. Um, DOT has not provided any insight as to them making any particular changes at this time or seeking any changes right now. Um, we continue to seek input from them to see if they're going to be moving forward with alternatives or increases or a different approach. Um, right now we are continuing to collect information um, to see what options we have out there. And when we have all that information put together, we will be coming back to council um, and presenting that information. You know, I just like to add. I mean, this is where goals merge. Um, the be local, buy local campaign is so critical to the success of this strategy. Um, our road maintenance projects are funded by gas tax, and the gas tax that residents fuel up locally, you know, if they fuel up in St. Augustine, St. Augustine gets the gas tax. They fuel up in Ormond Beach, Ormond Beach gets the gas tax. Um, love both the mayors, uh, north and south of us, but I'd rather have us benefit, um, you know, from, from those dollars because the more we can collect 
the more roads we can maintain. This is a direct quality of life issue for our residents. But um, it, it's also important when we're talking about the be local, buy local again, it's supporting those local businesses. So when you do see um, gas stations, and I'll get this question sometimes is, you know, why are you putting in another gas station on State Road 100? We don't put in gas stations. We actually don't put in private sector uh, businesses. However, um, you know, this is uh, market driven. And so when there's more opportunities and options, uh, that is data driven as well as why Wawa chose to be here. They knew it was going to um, be a sustainable business model. So be local, buy local has got to be continually driven uh, to the importance to our residents because it helps them, it helps our keep our taxes as low as possible, um, but it goes directly to benefit of a long-term strategy. Uh, second to that, you know, I've had uh, quite a few discussions with our legislative delegation about this. I believe uh, during session, if not this session, next session, they're going to take a hard look on alternative um, associated, uh, not only costs with how it's funded, but maybe other funding formulas that look long-term on a, um, alternative fuel uh, costs, alternative vehicles, you know, that aren't fueling up as much. So I think we're luckier this year than what we thought because, yes, few people were driving on the roads for COVID, but you had a lot more delivery services, food delivery services on the road, um, and certainly that, that gas tax is coming in a little bit higher than what the state anticipated and I think what we're anticipating. So I, I really want to stress this um, for us as a council, every time we're out there talking to the residents, we should also be talking about be local, buy local. We should be talking about how your tax dollars are directly associated mm -hmm. with this. Every time you shop outside of our community, you're giving the dollars to another community. And that's just not right. I would not have known that if I was not serving in this capacity of how important it is. But when you see how much we collect annually, it's, it's allowed us to not go into um, municipal debt in these areas because it's directly related to what we collect. So it's user fee driven. And if we can get those numbers up, if we can encourage our residents to do that, more dollars come back to us and we can put it back into the economy locally, but we can also maintain additional roads. This is a, um, a department that is very underfunded. Um, in regards to what plan is associated with it and how many road miles we maintain annually. So um, please, you know, when I can't really stress enough how much this strategy is directly related um, to that gas tax consumption. It's important. And staying with street maintenance enhancements, uh, this is a multifaceted area that we're talking about um, autonomous vehicles and then also some other enhancements. Um, I'm going to turn it back over to call Cody to go over this slide in detail. Yeah, um, as Denise indicated, there are several items in here, a lot of them tied in with um, our roadway network. Um, one of them is, you know, and ongoing safety improvements. You know, as we resurface our roadways and put together our street listing for roadways, we look at 
you know, what opportunities do we have to make any enhancements, to correct any deficiencies that are out there with the roadways when we go to resurface them? You know, it's one of those, you know, do it at one time and do it correct. So that does happen. We do put together that list of our roadways. We do go out, do an analysis of those intersections and make any enhancements or corrections while as part of that project. So that is part of our process. It's something that we began last year. We did it. We continue to do it with this coming project and future projects. You know, obviously autonomous vehicles is something that's out there. It's going to, it's coming. What are we doing? And, you know, really the purpose of the priority was are we going to be ready if it comes? And are there any things that we should be doing differently to be ready as we're doing our resurfacing or doing work on our roadways so we don't have to spend dollars in the future to accommodate it? So we've done a lot of analysis. We've done some research. We've had some various discussions. You know, we will put together an item outlining what all that means. The good news is, you know, we're basically with what we're doing, we are ready for autonomous vehicles. There's nothing that we really need to change from our current approach. But we will provide a much more detailed summary on that particular item. Our traffic calming initiatives, you know, part of this is our Florida Park Drive project, looking at the canal ends, the two canal ends along that stretch of roadway. That is about 60% done design right now. We're looking to wrap up the design in the next month or two, and then we'll be going up to construction. So that's an item where we had several options that we were looking at in terms of what our technical ability was on that particular roadway, because every roadway is slightly different based on right-of-way or drainage or utilities and various items. So that is something that we're doing. We also are looking at a couple other items throughout the community as doing some pilot studies in terms of what opportunities we may have to do something with striping, with other items to assist with those traffic calming approaches, see what's effective, what's really going to be useful, what's going to work, that's cost-effective. A lot of ongoing programs, something we continue to track, collect data on, analyze, study, and move forward with. I'm not sure if anyone has any questions on any of these items here. I'd be happy to speak to any of them with more information. The autonomy is working pretty well on our current street situation, so that should work itself out. Thank you, Carl. And the next slide is also yours, specific to Old Kings Road. Yeah, so obviously Old Kings Road has been an ongoing project. As we know, these DOT projects are, they always tell you it's an 8- to 10-year timeline from doing your initial study to right-of-way to design through construction. This is one where Old Kings Road is under construction right now. We still have two more phases to continue this north. It is 
as we've indicated to the, the TPO and the DOT that this is our, our top priority project. Um, we are trying to move it forward. We continue to have lots of discussion with them. We had a lot of interaction with their staff working on the work program this fall and their TPO staff, providing them updated cost estimate, providing them information, um, reiterating the, the, the need that this is a, a, a top priority project. For, for us. Um, this was another one that was brought up by the mayor recently with, as a legislative priority for the county um, to, to move the project forward. So we continue to press for funding on this particular project and have those discussions with DOT. And we have our smart city focus area and to talk about traffic control solutions, Carl Cody. <coughs> And yeah, this is um, one dealing a lot with our signal optimization program. Um, obviously, adaptive traffic controls is a specific item that's a type of signal. Um, our traffic engineer is well, very well versed in traffic signal operations. Um, he spent a, a good part of his career dealing with it in one capacity or another. Um, so he has a lot of insight to offer on a specifically adaptive. Uh, traffic control solutions, but some of the initiatives that he, he has been working on throughout our city, a, a lot of them you, you probably won't notice, um, some of them you will. Um, we have done a lot of enhancements to State Road 100. He has worked hand-in-hand uh, -hand with DOT to make some enhancements there to make the travel along 100 less disruptive for the, the user. Um, so those have been put into place, um, has been very effective, lots of positive feedback. Um, he's, he's noticed um, a lot of enhancements and um, to, your, to reducing your travel time along that corridor. Um, so that plan's been implemented. He, we're currently analyzing Beltair Parkway. Some enhancements have been put into place. As part of our resurfacing, we've converted some of our traffic loops that are in the roadway to traffic detection cameras. Um, gives us a little bit more flexibility on how and where the, the cars are detected. Um, so we are, we've worked on making some, I guess, adjustments to that, that corridor. Um, we continue to, to analyze it, to update it. This isn't something you just set once and you're done with. This is ongoing, continuing um, enhancements, fine-tuning, um, making those tweaks because as as the roadway network users change or the capacity changes on the various roadways it's going to impact on each intersection specifically and then how those intersections coordinate with one another there's um the new signal that was put in say just south of east hampton on Beltaire at market ave is we were looking at connecting that signal up with east hampton so that one is one where you could say it's an adaptive signal. They're close enough together. They can be synced together. Um, that is one that we're looking at putting into place for that to occur. So it, it's a program that uh, continues to be enhanced. Um, we continue to make lots of progress. Um, so it's an important task for our traffic engineer. And he, he uh, dedicates some time each week to working on this initiative. 
Thank you, Carl. Now moving into our last focus area, specific to fiber. You heard a little bit about that this morning. Doug's going to take you through these upcoming slides. And so many of these uh, areas we looked at this morning in this morning's presentation, so I won't belabor them. Uh, but as it relates to uh, Whitney Lab, we're currently looking into options we have for providing connectivity to them. And once we understand the feasibility of that and the cost surrounding that, we're going to reach out to them to explore their interests and what opportunities we have to work together with them. Um, identify opportunities for fiber and wireless expansion within the city of Palm Coast. Um, again, as mentioned earlier, the hardware infrastructure project is, uh, is mostly complete. Uh, we're looking to reinvigorate the open access network model that we're currently using uh, by the methods I mentioned earlier. And uh, also, I know that uh, council's looking for a um, staff-generated business plan, and we're looking at creating that and bringing that to you uh, by April. Um, for the uh, determining the feasibility of requiring development to connect uh, and, and provide infrastructure, this is not an initiative that we have uh, started yet, but we are, are setting plans to meet with community development this quarter in order to uh, implement a dig once policy. Um, in lieu of that, uh, community development is working with developers as they come in to try to get them to put conduit in the ground now uh, before this policy is in place. And finally, uh, as far as the ISP determination, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we can be an ISP for other governments and we do have an opportunity with Flagler Clerk of Courts that we are pursuing. Um, and as we are uh, looking into other options that we have, uh, we are uh, expanding on the open access model that I mentioned earlier. And uh, that last item there, we have uh, one more step that we have to perform in order to provide internet service to other governments and we're looking at securing an IPv4 block in order to, to do so. So that concludes our update regarding the adopted focus areas and priorities. Uh, this is a slide to um, talk about how we're going to navigate the next steps. As you know, the citizen survey is currently underway. That's going to be open until the 31st. We will be coming to council with the results on March 9th. And that's really uh, the kickstart to our strategic action plan evaluation process. And so shortly after, we'll be scheduling one-on-one -on -one interviews with each of the council members. And that interview session is really to serve hearing your feedback, getting your point of view, and then giving staff the information we need to come back um, and consolidate that so we can update city council as a governing body. Uh, with that information, uh, we come back as part of evaluation workshops, and those run April through May. And um, as we started on the first slide, we will um, come back in June and look at adopting and reaffirming priorities as council's direction uh, per a resolution of adoption. And as we uh, stated earlier uh, in July, we'll be right back here talking about how we're going to take those priorities as adopted and look at um, creating a roadmap, uh, detail the commitments that we're putting forward and making sure that we're on the right path before we go into budget adoption, which really secures those resources so we can move forward in a steadfast manner. And with that, that concludes our presentation. Oh.
thank you as always. You know, you, you continue to drive um, these initiatives um, from a project management standpoint, Denise. And um, where we started four years ago to where we are today is just incredible, um, frankly. So um, they're very clear, they're very clearly outlined. We take a tremendous amount of time as a council to develop these. Um, and I'm just very proud of this initiative because uh, communities that plan well, spend well, and then we go into the budget process and it's directly related to these initiatives and the costs associated with accomplishing them. So thank you. Thank you, Mayor Holland. Any questions or comments on the presentation? What to say after that other than passion <coughs> and, you know, clear evidence that you showed us. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. So, amen, plus one on that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, to everyone involved, every director today and to our city manager, thank you. I know this you. Uh, took a tremendous amount of time and effort. I think it's well worth it. Uh, and hopefully you have very clear direction on, you know, now how you uh, develop your teams and everything else. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay, that includes agenda item number three. So Matt, I have a question. We have 15 minutes. Hour. We have um, quite a few agenda items left. Is there going to be a, a long presentation on four or five? I do not believe so. I think these are both uh, just 10 minutes maybe uh, or less for both. All right, so we'll just go through them unless anyone would like a um, restroom break or a five-minute break. Good. 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 Okay, good. Thank you. And since I have a slide in this uh, first presentation, I'll turn it right over to Helena and I will speak at uh, my portion. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Um, good morning, Mayor City Council. Uh, almost good afternoon. Today we'll go over the financial results of fiscal year 2020 as it relates to the state revenues and our operating divisions. Uh, we would like to update council on COVID impact on the main operating funds. We will not cover any of the internal service funds since those are not directly impacted by revenue reduction. We're not going to cover any capital projects or special revenues. Um, before we get started uh, with the presentation, the city manager will provide a review of the fiscal measures that were taken when we first felt the impacts of the pandemic. So I'll turn it over to Mr. Morton. Thank you, Helena. So I just wanted to remind Council at the very outset of the pandemic when we were unsure of where we were going, but uh, staff, Helena, myself, and others having enough experience with dealing with uh, crises at the local government level through different downturns, recessions, and other impacts, we wanted to make sure we were taking all appropriate measures to do two things, ensure that we continue to have a solid budget, and our goal was not to touch any disaster reserves if possible. Um, and we did not want to see interruptions in service delivery to our community and minimize any service disruptions to our community. And I think all things considered, those both those efforts were realized. I do want to call out that these measures were freezes, not cuts. And so many of these items were included and budgeted for, but we chose to wait to certain times, certain in the future, which now we're in the future uh, from when we did budget, to make sure revenues would track or justifications would come in. Um, you know, to start unfreezing these things because these freezes are not um, uh, uh, items or programs that will lead us to be successful long term. In other words, um, 
you know, we don't want to eliminate travel and training long term. That's not a good strategy for success of our community. Freezing our very successful tuition reimbursement program, we have seen a lot of directors grow, graduate with their degree, and they're putting those skills to work here for us and our citizens and our community. So just as a member of certain freezes, and not all of them are, are being unfrozen at this point in time, uh, we froze all non-essential travel and training and limited that to very specific travel and training necessary for certifications, licensures, emergency service training, uh, you know, discretionary spending. There wasn't a whole lot, to be honest, as council knows, as you work through this budget every year, it's not like we have a ton of discretionary spending, but we combed as hard as we could to identify any areas either to eliminate or freeze. Um, we've evaluated contracts, see if we can get better rates and deals. Um, you can go through the slides, I won't waste time by going through them, but specifically today, uh, we're here to talk about, as Helena does the budget update, one component which was the compensation freeze. Oh, before you move on, Matt, I thought, you know, giving a good example of that uh, as an investment tool, um, Kyle Berryhill is a great example. You know, he, he went on to advance his education but focus the areas on grant reimbursement dollars and grant writing. I think he's had tremendous success, correct, Chief, in that area and has been able to secure a, a good amount of additional resources that we would have to apply. So I love what you said about the fact of there are some areas when we continue to reinvest, it pays on that ROI, um, and we're seeing that. Kyle does work um, diligently with the, with the grants, and part of our succession plan is um, he's reaching down and bringing someone along with him. Uh, in the past, he's gotten uh, some simple grants that were local firehouse subs, but uh, one of the biggest ones that he did get was the AirPAC grant for a quarter of a million dollars. And then every year there seems to be anywhere from ten dollars to $50,000 worth of grants that he picks up from place to place. Um, the most recent one that we're looking at is a grant for washers and dryers. And you think, well, washers and dryers, these are extractors that actually when you go to a fire call, covered with soot, you put it into a dryer, uh, a washer, and it takes all the particulates out, reducing cancer likelihood. Um, those are the things that um, are small money things that add up to be very expensive. Um, and, and he doesn't go out for that big white whale. He goes out for all the little ones that you can get along the way that have a good impact. Um, Kyle spent a lot of time at Flagler College, got his, his master's degree. Um, he is being groomed for upper management, um, even further with where he's at. Um, I actually did his evaluation and read it from Deputy Chief Clark, and it's phenomenal. Um, this is a person that keeps going and going, and a lot of what he does is the people that he met in these programs, he's reaching out as network partners, and he's pulling that information from the outside and bringing it in, and we are the successors of his benefit. Thank you for that. And, and I mean, I know that's one example, um, Matt. But many, yeah, many, yes, yeah. many examples. You're just great. Across the organization where, um, you know, these programs are training, are, are you know, uh, it, it does help our, it serves our community better. It really, those small investments serve our community better. Uh, we will now take a look at the general fund revenue summary. Our Advil Warren taxes came in pretty close to budget. City Council maintained the same millage rate and combined with an increase in assessed values, we generated an additional $2 million over the previous year. The half cent sales tax was projected to decrease uh, 23%. We did experience a slight decrease for the months of April to July. However, 
the balance of the fiscal year was only slightly under the original budget so leaving a balance of approximately five hundred eighty thousand available when compared to the final budget now i do have to say that this is the half cent that supports the general fund we're not talking about the small county sales tax that supports capital projects communication services tax and state revenue sharing came in very close to budget producing a balance of approximately a hundred and twelve thousand another area where we expected a decrease was our parks and recreation fees we had several programs on hold as well as facilities closures due to covid and as you can see there was a significant decrease when compared to the original budget but their revenues managed to produce a balance of a hundred thousand when compared to the final budget another variable that we were dealing with was the eligibility for cares act funding we were actually allocated one point four million for public safety salaries reimbursement which was an item that of course we hadn't budgeted for as a result of the items that i just outlined the general fund experienced two point six million in revenues in excess of the final budget projections large majority coming from the care salary reimbursement and the half cent sales tax received from the state we will now take a look at the budget to actual expenditures for major operating divisions noting that many of the measures outlined by mr morton along with a very conservative approach to spending given the uncertainty of the economic world really contributed to the savings that we're going to review this is not something we see on a regular year so without going to a lot of detail our general fund administration and finance came in under budget approximately half a million dollars the community development not including building came in under budget by two hundred thousand public safety fire department came in under budget approximately five hundred ninety thousand parks and recreation including parks maintenance came in under budget by six hundred and seven thousand our streets division six hundred and twenty five while the water and wastewater utility as a whole was under budget by approximately one point nine million and one million from the stormwater department we also in addition recovered a little bit over half a million dollars of covid related expenditures ranging from it equipment purchases to staff time reimbursement for payments that were made under the family's first coronavirus response act when we prepared the fiscal year 2021 budget last summer there was still quite a bit of uncertainty as to the economic impact of the pandemic we certainly still have a lot of questions and will continue to be conservative in our approach however when we budgeted staff salaries there was a freeze on both cola and merit increases for the fiscal year 2021 at this point given the financial results of 2020 we are requesting that council approve restoring the fiscal year 2021 cola for all city employees the cola increase is generally given in the january february time frame at the same time we are also requesting that council approve restoring the city manager's 2020 evaluation pay when council performed mr morton's evaluation last may he would have qualified for a five percent increase due to the uncertainty of the financial market mr morton's increase was declined 
now we will continue to monitor the twenty twenty one budget and we will report to council sometime in the spring i believe the first workshop in april with current fiscal year result results um but we would like to take at least this step towards our twenty twenty one elena i have a question i mean are you talking about restoring moving forward or retroactively going forward it would be in effect for the first pay period of february and then i'd like to add that um we talked about if we had um additional dollars that came in uh, of anticipated funds that we would fund the additional two deputies for the sheriff's department i'd like to add that uh, sure we'll go ahead and bring that back to city council with the dollar amount associated with it and the paperwork that goes with it that okay to council we, we asked what? the yes. sheriff we said that if it came in higher we would fund the additional yes, two. okay absolutely okay. absolutely well thank you for the opportunity to present today this concludes my presentation uh, i will answer any additional questions from council council any questions or comments We'll move to agenda. Um, thank you, Helena. Thank you, Matt. Uh, job well done. Um, really very fiscally responsible. We really appreciate all your hard work. Thank you. Agenda item number five is a presentation building staff internship program. Thank you, Honorable Mayor City Council. As I, as I mentioned in the SAP, um, you know, this is truly enabling us to grow in-house and it's allowing us the, the, the analogy we're using is we're deepening our own pond rather than fishing other places. And so we're creating more capability and opportunity. Um, and I think I spoke a lot, so we'll turn it right over to, to present this program, which I think is helping us uh, do better. Mayor, City Council, thank you. I want to introduce a couple gentlemen you don't see too much of. Uh, this is Patrick Buckley, our chief building official, and John Bowden, our deputy chief building official. And uh, it's my pleasure to have them here. They're gonna talk about their internship program, which is quite an innovative program. But also, it's an opportunity for me to tell you how much they have uh, worked diligently to change the culture of the building division and uh, really gain a serious respect in the community uh, for the building division. So uh, they're going to give you their presentation. Welcome. And I don't get to see you, so this is exciting. <laughs> it's true. Well, thank you, uh, Mayor and Council. Uh, I know you're busy. Uh, this is a brief presentation. Um, uh, this is an important milestone uh, for the building division, and uh, it took a lot of effort to get to this point, to get it passed through our, these programs passed through the state, and uh, we're very, very happy to have that. It uh, certainly goes a long way to uh, helping us maintain service levels and uh, fulfilling council goals and objectives, and uh, as well as developing our staff uh, for the near and long term. And uh, it couldn't have been done uh, without the direct efforts of John, he uh, came here and landed right on his feet and went right to work putting this program together for us. And his reward for that will be that he has to start a lot of more, a lot more work. Uh, getting through the uh, state was one thing. Now that the program is live, there'll be uh, a lot of ongoing work, training staff and so forth. So uh, I'll turn it over to John and, uh, and then uh, if you have any questions at the end, just let us know. Thank you. Morning, Mayor, Mayor and Council. Uh, so, great news. Um, our program started, and we actually have our first 
applicant going in today, he's filling out his application right now as we speak, to get into the internship program. This is all uh, in response to the business-friendly initiative. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we, we help everything move along um, and, and, and don't have any roadblocks for our builders and our homeowners and our uh, business owners out there. Um, the, the program was set up by the state several years ago because our building official industry is about to age out. Um, we, we need to bring in younger people. With the construction industry booming the way that it is now, it's really hard to attract people to come onto this side of the industry. Um, they're out there making money, and it's... Um, it's a little, it's, it's scary to people to say, hey, I want to come to this side. They don't understand. As a contractor for the last 20-something years, um, I was in the same boat. I was making money hand over fist, and it, it didn't occur to me to ever step to this side of the industry. Um, it only got to the point where I just got tired of getting stressed all the time, where I decided to try it. And realized how how vital this is to the the industry itself. We are kind of under attack from private providers that are out there as well, and it it puts us behind the eight ball a little bit, especially in in our department where we have a number of single disciplined inspectors and plans examiners. Um, in other words, we have a guy who's licensed as an electrical plans examiner. That's all he could look at. And the only way to, to speed the process up is to have multidisciplined inspectors, plans examiners. And with the business-friendly initiative, if you're a business owner, uh, a homeowner, and you have four inspections set up in, in the different trades, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, and building, you may have to wait all day for four inspectors to show up. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating for everybody involved, including us on our side. So the internship program is set up to where we can get the people we have now multi-licensed. It's a one-year program and uh, they train with the inspectors that we have in those fields right now. The, uh, it's gonna help us be more efficient. We're gonna be able to save money actually, because as it is right now, if we send four inspectors out to one project, it's costing us well over $100 an hour. If we could just get two guys licensed in two different fields, we'll be saving half that. Uh, and the goal is to get guys licensed in every trade. It's going to take three or four years to get it done, but I think we can do it. Um, Patrick and I this morning were talking about possibly even uh, doing the four-year program and, and maybe getting in touch with uh, construction management at the Daytona State College or different uh, local um, colleges around and trying to get in touch with students that may see the benefit of coming to our side in the beginning okay it's also going to create a, an atmosphere where our 
inspectors and plans examiners are willing to learn and, um, and improve their situation for themselves. Uh, hopefully that happens. I know there's some of our guys who are a little bit older and it probably won't affect them at all, but the goal is to get our younger guys fully licensed so that we can keep them around for a long time and make everything move a lot smoother. The proficiency of the inspectors, um, as an inspector in a certain trade, there are things that you learn out there that, that connect to different trades. Plumbing connects to mechanical, uh, mechanical connects to electrical, in a building you see everything all at once. So um, getting them out there and, and hands-on training is really going to help them be more proficient in, in every single trade that are out there. Uh, the educational opportunities I talked about before, it's a lot easier when you're trying to learn from people that you're on the same level with than it is... Uh, you know, going to a, 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 most of our guys are construction guys. They're not college educated guys. And the, the thought of learning in a classroom environment is a little intimidating to some of our guys. So doing the hands-on with, with their peers is, is probably the best way for our guys to learn. Uh, the process in order to get into the internship program, you must first pass the hands-on uh, exam that is administered by DBPR or uh, the International Code Council. Uh, once you pass that, you will apply to the Building Code Administrator and Inspectors Board, and they will uh, approve you to be in the, the internship program. Once that happens, you, will, you are able to go out and do your hands-on inspection or plans examining under the tutelage of your peers and as you progress through the program once you become proficient in a certain whether it be um, a foundation inspection or uh, building plans examining examining foundations you're allowed to do that on your own under a provisional license uh, the process should take one year could take longer depending on the building official at the end, he'll evaluate everybody and see where they stand um, and then decide whether or not they can go for their standard license in that discipline. <clears throat> Once that's done, again, you'll have to go in front of the board uh, and turn in all your training materials along with your certi certificate of completion that you'll get from the building official. and. Uh, Again, the board will decide whether or not you're able to be standard licensed, and hopefully that will be done within the year, and uh, we'll be ready to go. We'll move on from there. Any other questions? Any I questions have a question. at all? Um, first of all, this is an extraordinary idea. Again, it moves through a, a allows for a pipeline to be created and a career opportunities to be um, opened up to. Um, those that are seeking to get into this profession. So thank you for your creativity and being very proactive, as this has been an issue for many years in Palm Coast. So this is a, a, a just a, a very exciting opportunity. So I would challenge you also to look at it
from working with our high school um, flagship program in construction management. We have a great high school construction management <coughs> program. Um, they do a lot of work um, just over at Matanzas High School. I could see this being very similar to our fire flagship program where it, it helps those students grow um, while they're in a school setting. However, they're having real work, um, practical experience. It helps with additional certifications that are needed in advance um, and would be a great pipeline going from the flagship of high school to Daytona State College dual enrollment and get additional um, licenses or certifications. It would save on the cost. Frankly, it would um, allow uh, these students to become gainfully employed uh, in an industry. And if, if it's not with the city, it's certainly with local builders. Um, we're a growing community. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think if you add additional layer to this, this might really be very beneficial to even um, maybe work with the school district and encourage um, how they did with our fire services. They do it with law enforcement as well. Uh, they're doing it with their medical flagship where it's it's true pipeline creation with the needs in the city um, or the needs in the county as we continue to develop um, career opportunities for our residents so um, I think this is outstanding and um, if it's you know Matt okay um, to to expand that even to have those conversations and develop those relationships and maybe formalize that program with the flagship program as they did with fire um, in the school system as again a way to really make sure there's an alignment there not wasting resources not wasting time um, but you know those career opportunities and you're right I mean not everyone is, is going to um, have a dream of, of maybe going to a college uh, but, but maybe want to become gainfully employed in a trade or a skill um, so I am Super excited about what you guys have been able to develop here. Thank you so much. Uh, I think you're stealing my thoughts all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned, I had on my notes here <clears throat> that, uh, first of all, let me start by saying that uh, training inspectors and multitask. It's another example of spend to save. That's an investment. And I was thinking about vocational schools. This could be some kind of discipline on a vocational school. But he stole that from me. You know, not fair. And thank you very much. It's, I think it's a great idea and a saving idea too. Absolutely. And may I add, it's also uh, very future-oriented as well. One of the, uh, in a previous employment of mine, we worked in the appraisal industry in a similar situation where appraisers today are being aged out of the industry and there's not that next generation of appraisers that are coming through the pipeline. This is very forward-leaning in the fact that if we look at the process that our city facilitates, which is the uh, you know approval inspection process end-to-end, uh, -end, if that becomes a problem or a bottleneck, the entire pipeline is going to, it's, everyone's going to feel it from construction contractors to individuals who are trying to have this work performed. This is going to remove that bottleneck, and it's a, a beautiful way to do it because we're offering uh, opportunity and offering opportunity to the youth and, and solving a local problem before it becomes a real problem. This is, this is very, very good and I'm very pleased. And uh, again, I just second what uh, was previously said. So thank you guys. Thank you. So after they get the, the training, is there a, an incentive or a contract 
so that they don't leave after they get all this training? They would uh, qualify for a bump in wages um, for every um, license that they get uh, as they move forward through the system. So they have incentive to stay. All right. I just want to say thank you. I know we discussed this in detail and depth when I first came on council. Thank you. Okay, council will now move to the written items of the agenda. Um, these are normally just uh, items of day-to-day -day business. So, um, Mr. Morton, I'm going to move through them as quickly as possible. If there's anything you need to add to it, I'm going to read those. We'll, we'll ask for any input if, if needed, sure. but is that okay? That is fantastic. Will there stand by in case there's any questions or concerns? Thank you. Agenda item number six is a resolution approving a master service agreement with the Southern Group of Florida for state lobbying services. Council, any questions or comments on this agenda item? Agenda item number seven is a resolution approving a master services agreement with PBM Construction Incorporated for the FF11A and FF21 pump station upgrades. Super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any comments or question on this agenda item? <laughs> yeah, seeing none. We'll move to agenda item number eight, a resolution approving a master services agreement with GEM stone contractors for concrete driveway replacement and concrete flat work services. Any discussion on this item? Agenda item number nine is resolution approving a master service price agreement with contractor specialties and supply company incorporated for the purchase of um, five to six manhole dishes for the wastewater collection system as discussed earlier. Council, any questions or discussion on this item? Agenda item number 10 is a resolution approving piggybacking the Broward College contract for Shenandoah General Construction LLC for storm drains, cleaning, repairs, and maintenance. Any questions or discussion on this item? Then item number 11 is a resolution approving a price agreement with Argos Ready Mix LLC for 4,000 PSI concrete for citywide use. Any discussion or comments on agenda item number 11? Uh, Ms. Mayor, may I, may I just make a comment about uh, number nine? I'm sorry, I, I forgot that I wanted to add. Just when we're looking at the purchase of the 526 manhole dishes, if uh, staff could just make sure uh, that we're not pigeonholing ourselves. I assume that these probably won't have to be replaced for quite a while because they're manhole covers. But uh, I had been reading, I think, Connected City Magazine or something along the lines where manhole covers, some of them now have uh, low power emitting um, Internet of Things capabilities. So basically they have like little Wi-Fi things on them. And they have little sensors that uh, when they're covered with water will actually send a signal to the Wi-Fi. Uh, and then a city system would be able to say, hey, this road is underwater. Uh, basically just to look at all your options to make sure we're not just buying the standard manhole covers because apparently there have been technological advances in manhole technology, manhole dish technology. So <laughs> thank you. And, and I think you brought that up previously um, as initiative. So I think that falls within what the city um, council has identified with the smart 
as someone I was saying, my favorite John Nett's, uh, John Nett-isms, and, uh, you know, keeping Palm Coast clean, green and serene, and marine uh, is something John Nett used to t tell me, and also, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. Uh, these are things that, as I recite them in the future, I'll always look back and I'll remember that John was the one who told me, that, and I'm just uh, humbled and thankful to have known such a great guy and have him in my life. Thank you.
and it turned into a weekly two-hour session on Mondays uh, where he would give just give me the history of the city and he drove me around and pointed places out pointed things out pointed events locations all because he believed in preparing the next generation of leadership whatever that looked like to be the best they could for this city and that's my experience with John Ness he really cared for this city he loved this city no doubt about it Conclude your comments, Mr. Morton. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Then I'll make a motion to adjourn this meeting.